Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. who are continuing in their exodus out of New York, out of New Jersey, out of Pennsylvania, out of Connecticut, as they head on down to Florida. I can only tell you in the hours that I spent outside of the studios at WABC today, I was down in Sunset Park, which has become the largest Chinese-American community, superseding even the populations of Chinatown and Manhattan. Woodside, Queens, and Flushing, Queens. And uh, even there, people were saying, we're out of here. Well, I, I told you, you just got here. <laughs> you talk in Mandarin, you can't even speak English. We're out of here. The crime is off the hook. And then it was over in Bensonhurst as the 18th Avenue feast uh, continues. And people were reciting a number of factors as to why they've decided not to improve but rather to move. And they're, uh, they're joining that exodus. And then I finished up, uh, we'll be talking about it later, outside of the Plaza Hotel, hundreds of animal rights activists were assembled. They were led by New York class and my councilman, Robert Holden of Glendale, Middle Village, uh, Maspeth, Queens, Nancy was there. And uh, we were protesting the conditions for the carriage uh, horses. That again, an expose, a video that was published in the New York Post today of the conditions in the horse stalls, abysmal, abominable. And so it's a full court press to eliminate having these horse-drawn carriages, retiring the horses to a sanctuary in Pennsylvania and allowing them uh, a decent life. But even there, and that was a group of mostly liberals and progressives, as most animal rights activists are, People were coming up to me, apologizing to me. Many of them had decided to vote for Eric Adams. They got bamboozled like so many others because he promised everybody to do everything and then obviously couldn't deliver on that, especially animal welfare uh, animal welfare platform issues like no-kill shelters, which he hinted on that he might support. 
But he hasn't even paid lip service to it, and he has allied himself with TWA Local 100. That's the union you generally associate with representing uh, train operators, motormen, conductors, track workers, maintenance people in the subways, token booth clerks, and some uh, bus drivers. And uh, they somehow represent these uh, few uh, horse carriage uh, drivers who... uh, under uh, our recommendations, would end up driving the electric carriages that would replace the horse-drawn carriages. I'd be making the same amount of money, maybe even more. Uh, but the resistance is bitter, it's stiff, it's obstinate on behalf of the union leadership. Certain members of the city council, it would require them to pass legislation to undo the horse-drawn carriages. And, of course, uh, Eric Adams, the swagger man, he has no plan. By the way, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, uh, once again, the iconic figure from WCBS-FM. Uh, uh, no sightings of the mayor today. Apparently, he is M-I-A. No sighting. So that would mean he's not at Club Zero Bond. He wasn't at his favorite restaurant with the two uh, twin brothers that were still wondering about what is his race relationship with these guys. I think it goes beyond just getting wine, dine, and pocket line. Uh, You know, who knows? Could be a little experimentation he's going through with the twins. Uh, We'll continue to pursue that. But he wasn't seen at his uh, favorite restaurant of the two twins on West 52nd Street. So I'm kind of figuring that he's out in the Hamptons. Uh, Fundraising for what? He'll tell you for his re-election. And as I've often said, hey, Eric, just do the job. <laughs> Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> well, yeah, you're the swagger man with no plan, no doubt about that. But even amongst liberals and progressives tonight outside the Plaza Hotel as we were uh, protesting to uh, get rid of the horse carriage uh, industry, even many of them were saying they're out of here. They're moving to Florida, Georgia. North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, parts unknown. And um, seems to defy what our local elected officials would like everyone to believe. That, in fact, people are resisting going to Florida, especially DeSantis land, because of his uh, conservative values, because he's uh, waging a cultural war with many of the liberals, progressives, and Democrats, especially north of the Mason-Dixon line. And the assumption is, is that the flight to Florida is not as great as it is. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to open up our phone lines. Would you please let me know if you have intentions on heading to Florida or other states, or if you know of people in the last year or two who have actually picked up shop and moved to Florida or other states south of the Mason-Dixon line, or whether you have decided to improve, don't move, and you're digging in, and it doesn't matter how, how bad it gets in our tri-state area, you're, you're not going anywhere. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As we're going to take you to the break of dawn. Oh, yeah, and then in the next segment, we're going to be talking about teachers. Some people like to smack around teachers. They accuse DeSantis of doing that in his public school system in Florida, and others embrace them and feel that more money, more money, more money needs to be uh, spent, especially on public school education. There's so much 
for us to cover. And also, I'm going to pry into your your thought your thought sphere. I'm creating a new word, thought sphere. This is Sliwanics. Remember, uh, like Ebonics, I have botulized the English language with uh, fractured phrases, spoonerisms, and malaprops. And at times, I create language. And that was just an example. But we're going to talk about who are your favorite teachers. I have one in mind uh, who uh, was a super spectacular teacher that uh, motivated me like no other teacher ever has. And I'm sure you can recall men or women in your academic life who have done exactly that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Well, let me give you the analytics. A, number one. We've uh, checked the figures, and uh, New York State leads in the largest mass exit of population of any in the nation, including uh, pretty boy Gus Newsom's population in California. Number two, New York State experienced the largest drop in life expectancy in the nation. That doesn't spell well for New York, that's for sure. Uh, and that was clearly under the Democratic leadership of Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I. And then crime wave Kathy Hokum. Hokum I call her, not Hokum, because she's full of nonsense. Uh, and she has turned out to be Andrew uh, Evilized Cuomo uh, 2.0. And then, of course, our situation uh, dealing with no cash bail, in which, um, well... We are the only state out of 50 states that does not allow the men and women in black uh, judicial robes to make decisions about whether a inmate or those accused might be a danger to themselves or anyone else. It's completely taken out of their hands. Other 49 states, not so. Our numbers 1-800-848-9222. But with uh, Governor DeSantis coming into our area, in fact, uh, today, Sunday, he'll be out in Oyster Bay, I believe, in the early evening. And he will be the uh, uh, special speaker on behalf of Congressman Zeldin in becoming uh, governor of the state of New York against Kathy Crime Wave Hokum. Uh, he is uh, going to be attracting a lot of big money people out in Oyster Bay and adding badly needed cash to the campaign. I know that uh, Congressman Zeldin has another fundraiser upcoming out in Bedminster. Uh, That's the Trump-owned golf course and property in New Jersey, in which Donald Trump will be uh, leading the effort to raise money for Lee Zeldin. Uh, Some say that could hurt in the bluest of all blue states, New York. But let's face it, Lee Zeldin needs the dough. Uh, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb is sitting on like $17 million dollars. Uh, in in cash to be able to spend from contributions. And Zeldin had a very difficult primary, as you know, against my choice, Andrew uh, uh, Andrew uh, Giuliani, not Andrew Cuomo. See, uh, you got to wonder, hey, I think I'm going to try to convince Andrew Giuliani to change his first name because every time I say Andrew, I think uh, um, Andrew evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of... Mario Faccia Bruta Como King Como the First. I got to have a conversation with Andrew Giuliani and tell him, hey, kid, just change your first name. You're still a Giuliani. And then remember, it was Wilson and it was uh, Rob Astorino. So uh, in winning that primary, uh, Congressman Zeldin spent a lot of his fiscal resolve 
especially when Wilson jumped in because he was pounding away upstate and uh, in uh, central New York. I mean, he was spending millions and millions of dollars on attack ads. Uh, so he needs to raise that cash in the race towards November 8th. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And because the intensity is beginning to grow, here was Kathy Crime Wave Hokum. Uh, she was up there in the uh, race that was between the um, two county executives, one by the Democrat Ryan versus Molinaro. And she was flexing, basically telling, I guess you could say, uh, close to, hmm, trying to remember the last count of Republicans in the state of New York. It's shrinking. I know there are no, there are more independents now registered in the state of New York. That's the second largest group of registered voters, not Republicans to Democrats. But I believe there's five and a half million uh, GOPers. And basically, um, Kathy Crime Wave Hokum was pretty much telling them to leave New York, that they are udiscraziada, they are a shanda. The fate of democracy in this country. That's what we're fighting for, my friends. We are fighting for democracy. We're fighting to bring government back to the people and out of the hands of dictators. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro, just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, re- you don't represent our values. I knock it off, Grandma. Uh, she reminds me of uh, just a uh, grandma, right? Sheesh. Needs to take that Geritol. Anyway, Molinaro, he didn't vote for Trump. And he's pro-choice. I wonder if Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb even knows that. But it doesn't matter. He's a Republican. So basically she's saying all five and a half million registered uh, members of the Republican Party, pack your bags and get the hell out of New York. And remember, that comes on the heel of, mm, I'd say about eight years ago, when her predecessor, the person who chose her to be the lieutenant governor from western New York, Andrew Evilize Cuomo, pretty much said the same thing about uh, Republicans and conservatives who disagreed with his policies. Are they these extreme conservatives who are right to life, a poor assault weapon, anti-gay? Is that who they are? Because if that's who they are, and if they are the extreme conservatives, they have no place in the state of New York. Because that's not who New Yorkers are. Now... If they happen to die in the interim, and they've already purchased a plot in a cemetery, I wonder uh, if uh, Andrew Evelide Cuomo had remained governor. Oh, God. What a disaster that would have been. Would he permit somebody who disagreed with him to be buried in a plot that they've already paid for, a family plot? Probably not. Anyway, let's go to Helena, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Helena? First of all, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'd like to, I'd like your input on that comment that Governor Holcomb, Hocus, whatever name, I call her Hocus Pocus, made to be Zeldin. Well, in fact, let's play that cut again. Uh, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb basically not only telling, uh, Zeldin, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, 
I guess she was saying Molinaro and all five and a half million registered Republicans. She said it to Selden. Yes. Uh, let's let's listen That's to that point. again. I play it again, uh, Broadway Billy. The fate of democracy in this country. That's what we're fighting for, my friends. We are fighting for democracy. We're fighting to bring government back to the people and out of the hands of dictators. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro, just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, re- you don't represent our values. Uh, Elena, is there room for me to stay? Will she let me stay? You know, I'm a registered Republican. All right, but wait a minute. Wait a minute, Curtis. Uh, who was she referring to? Well, she said. But she told him to take his people and get out of town. Yeah. That is my point. Yeah. Yeah, that's. And I think you know what I'm referring to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it, Helena. Basically, clear out. Be done with it. This becomes an all blue state. You can have the South. They want the North. And it's a civil war all over again politically, right? <laughs> Let's go to Douglas calling for Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dougie. Yes, hello, Doug. Hello? Yay! Hello, Doug! Yeah! Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, listen, I have no intention to move to Florida. Uh, I met a lady from the Bronx. She said she wished she was back at the Bronx. She said they got too many mosquitoes down there. They got mosquitoes, they got gators, things that bite you and suck your blood down there. So, you know, it's hot down there. No, 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 I know, especially now, the humidity and the heat. But, Douglas, you may be bit by the skeeters and the snakes down in Florida. But, my God, you could get lead poisoning up in the Bronx. The Bronx is off the hook with the violent crime. Yeah, well, I I, I know. She, She said to me, she said, I wish I was back in the Bronx. She said, I wish I was back in the Bronx. Now, do you know which portion of the Bronx she was referring to? Oh, I forgot. I was driving her from Port Authority to the Bronx. Wow. You know? Wow, man. You you are being a, a very gallant uh, gentleman. Yeah, of course. Well, listen, you got to take him anywhere in the five boroughs. Well, you know what I'm saying? you got to take him anywhere in the five boroughs. But by the time Hoko and people get dis- get busy, they could destroy all the industries in New York. It'll be nothing left here, you know. They take away the horse and carriage industry, destroy the taxi industry, destroy the limo industry. They could destroy everything. Well, let me uh, contemplate that again. Let's go for a third try, the trifecta, the troika, the trinity, and I need to hear Grandma Hochul uh, again, Broadway Bill Lee. The fate of democracy in this country. That's what we're fighting for, my friends. We are fighting for democracy. We're fighting to bring government back to the people and out of the hands of dictators. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro, just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, re- you don't represent our values. Wow, Grandma Moses. That's what I'm going to start referring to her as Grandma Moses. Boy, she's a crotchety. Didn't have a geritol. Anyway, let's go to Chris in Middletown. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Good evening, Curtis. How are you? Oh, oh, oh I made a mistake. Oh. 
You're damn right you made a mistake, Chris, but you, you, you bit your tongue before you went any further. I did, I did. Okay, well, I found the paperwork on a new tractor trailer, and I am going to Texas, North Texas, and I am not pulling freight in the Bronx. I absolutely refuse. Well, I can't blame you. I mean, uh, hijacking uh, uh, 18-wheel no. tractor trailers in the Bronx now. It's, it's not that. It's the toll. It's the fuel. You people can practically starve. I don't care. I know that sounds heartless, but I'm not delivering any fresh meat up in that area. Yeah, I, I, I thought it's sort of odd. I saw the uh, mayor and the police department, Department of Transportation, every agency imaginable, uh, a few nights ago, they were in southeast Queens towing away 18-wheel tractor trailers, some of which were parked on the streets. Uh, oh, I know. They hate us. Yeah, I know. It's sort of like I don't understand why. You you represent commerce. Now, I, I guess if you live in a residential area, you don't want a big 18-wheel tractor trailer on a residential side block. But there's well, got to be. Into a lot of, I got in a lot of trouble delivering into uh, Western Beach there over in Massville, Queens. A lot. So Just when you uh, when you deliver the Western beef, yeah. Now you know Western yeah. beef; they're going out of business. They're going to just sell all that real estate. That uh, uh, the originator, which goes way back to Paulie Castellano, after he got whacked at Sparks uh, by Gotti Senior and his underboss Sammy the Bull Gravano and their crew. Uh, but uh, elements uh, of the Castellano family, uh, and Paulie Castellano was a butcher in uh, Canarsie. Uh, when uh, my mother was growing up, he had a butcher shop right on 92nd Street uh, on Avenue L. Um, they, they, they own uh, a lot of the interest in Western beef, but apparently they've decided, the board has decided they're going to uh, get out of the business of selling uh, beef and groceries and everything else. That talk has been nothing but torture for me to get into anyway. Hmm. I mean, I, I started I started driving trucks going into that. So that made a man out of me, so to speak. Now, let, me ask you, let me ask you a question, Chris. Uh, have you sure. taken uh, loads into uh, Hunts Point? Of course. All right. I spent many nights on uh, Tiffany Street. All right. there by McDonald's. So when you're sitting there and you're waiting to queue up uh, this way you can unload, uh, do men, uh, women, she males, males, she start banging on your cab, uh, wanting to, <laughs> asking you if you have a date? <laughs> I'm chuckling because absolutely. And you know what happens? I end up having a cup of coffee with them and just talking about, hey, how's the life? How's the kid? How's everything? No freaky deekies, but just a casual conversation. Now, now, that's one of the areas in the city that's actually gotten better. I remember when that was just one big stroll. There were dozens and dozens of men, women, uh, frozen vegetables, he, she, she males out there. People just selling their bodies, and they would do anything uh, for a price, especially during the age of crack. A lot of them were so strung out. Uh, It was sad. It was sad to see. When I first started in the business, um, I used to go with my uncle making deliveries into the Bronx there. And every traffic light, we would stop, and then we'd get to our delivery point. Our truck was empty. Empty? <laughs> empty. This is back in the day of the 80s. Do you mean they, were, they were breaking into your truck and unloading it? <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> well, know, this is back when Mayor Deacons and, and then Giuliani came in and cleaned that all up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. But obviously, uh, Eric Adams is David Dinkins 2.0. So we wish you the best of luck in North Texas. We're losing another good New Yorker from Middletown who's got his 18-wheel tractor-trailer rig, and he's going to do his work down in North Texas where they don't have anywhere near the number of regulations. And if you decide to park your 18-wheel tractor-trailer on the block, nobody's going to bother you. And by the way, if you do break into that 18-wheel tractor-trailer, likely a lot of the neighbors are going to come out with their shotguns. <laughs> a lot different in New York. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to John calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. John? Curtis, even though things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, I'm going to stay here in New York because I'm a native New Yorker. Good. And as as you told me when I when we first met years ago where I went to high school, you called me a brainiac. Hmm. Did you go to Stuyvesant? Yes. Hmm. Now you went and to the old fact, you went to the old one on 15th Street, right? Right. Hmm. And 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 I'll let you guess who my favorite teacher was. Hint, he wrote Several best-selling books about growing up poor in Ireland. Wow. Boy, boy, you got me on that trivia question. Who was it? Frank McCourt. Wow, Frank McCourt, brother of Malachi McCourt, who used to be... my honorary uncle, I might add. Right, Malachi McCourt used to own a gin mill, but also he hosted talk radio on WMCA, like mid-mornings. I don't know if you heard Frank, but I think this was two weeks ago. He had a wonderful interview with uh, Malachi that he did. So Wow. No, no. I, I Look, uh, Malachi McCourt was great. He understood the nature of talk radio, which is not to strain your brain, but to entertain and paint pictures. Right. I've heard Frank McCourt be interviewed as an author. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was always an interesting interview. I'm sure both brothers together. Wow, that had to be super spectacular. Well, I'm glad one of them is still alive. He's going to turn 91 next month, Malachi. I, I believe so. I believe that uh, Frank Morano, the other side of Midnight, has interviewed Malachi McCord. I, I stand to be More correct. Than once, and uh, he interviewed him early last week. I am going on, to suggest I'm going to suggest to Frank that he have both brothers on simultaneously. No, he can't. Why is that? Uh, Frank passed away in oh. July 20. Oh nine. Ooh, wow. Oh nine. Wow. You yeah. show you how 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 far out of the literary world I am, John. My well, my apologies. Thing, I I am trying to get published as an author. I have an uh, unpublished novel that two literary agents have asked for the full. And there's definitely one festival I I have no intention of ever appearing again, ever appearing as, as an author, and that is the. Uh, Mediocre Brooklyn Book Festival. Wow. You you know who's desperate, desperate to have his book uh, be showcased. In fact, I believe that Frank Morano was with Sid Rosenberg Saturday night at Michael's in Brooklyn selling the books Citizens United. I would bet you that Sid Rosenberg would sell out his soul in order to sell some books at that Brooklyn uh, book fair. I think his would be the best-selling book, but you see, he's not liberal enough for them. They have these two anti-police, anti-prison advocates, I'll name them, Mariam Kaba 
and uh, Derricka Purnell on on a panel who'll be trashing movies in prisons. And meanwhile, they're doing that. Speaking of Frank, he had uh, someone from the Manhattan Institute, uh, a guy named Rafael Manguel, discuss his new book, which condemns what these activists are doing to trash the police. Well, I I will tell you this. I know how Sid Rosenberg is selling Citizens United. I advise everybody out there, it's a must-read, solicitous, Spiel stories, suggestions, solutions to withstand a woke world. But I recommend steal it. Don't pay for it. Steal it. And if all you can do is uh, secure page 27, read page 27 of Sid Rosenberg, Citizens United, co-author Johnny Russo or The Godfather. You know Johnny wants a big vig. I'd like to see those negotiations. Steal the book. Steal page 27 and see. How I made Sid Rosenberg's career, me and me alone. If Sid can walk around like a peacock preening everywhere, I can do that too. And by the way, I think it is incumbent for Sid to try to sell his book at that Brooklyn Book Fair, even though he will be surrounded by Black Lives Matter folks that has turned into an organization worth millions and millions of dollars and have flipped the script on their acronym and is now big, large mansions. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Gee, where is Eric Adams? The swagger man who has no plan. I've lost um, lost my divining rod on tracking him today. He is not at Club Zero Bond. Um, usually stays there until about 2.30 in the morning downtown, that private club where uh, whatever happens at the Zero Bond Club stays in the Zero Bond Club. He wasn't at his favorite restaurant of the two twin brothers that... Um, Something beyond just being wine, dining, and pocket line is going on between them and Eric. There's no doubt about it. But he used the term, I want you to lower that music here, Broadway Billy, and I want people to explain to me what he meant by this. We'll give Avery an opportunity as a righteous, Euro Asiatic man, church-going man. By the way, I notice you have not yet been to a church service of that self-appointed bishop in Canarsie, right there on Forster Avenue, and um, Remsen, who claimed that he was robbed of $400,000 of bling, 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 right? That's almost a month ago. You got an opportunity in a few hours, hey, Rita, just, you know, get your Sunday best suit, show up there, and just make sure you put some schedule in the basket when it gets uh, passed around four or five times. Actually, the bishop there has a hefty trash bag. And he wants that bag full with 50s and 100s. No 20s, no 10s, no 5s, and certainly no singles. Now, the other day at a press conference, the mayor said something that nobody in the press understood. I was able to extract it by uh, putting an incision into a statement We may have to play it a few times. We're going to give the audience an opportunity to explain what he was talking about. Because it's street 
But he's not a street guy. Eric Adams is not a street guy. I think he was using it for the wrong for the wrong reasons. But uh, let's give it a whirl, Broadway Billy. I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> but so, and you're right. Okay. Uh, he said he met a shorty there. Now, I don't know what there meant. I'm assuming that's a club, a restaurant, you know, part of his nightlife. He likes to sample nightlife. Ladies and gentlemen, we need interpreters. Like at the United Nations, you know, unfortunately, all the totalitarian dictators, despots, uh, are going to be coming in for the General Assembly in September, tying up traffic in knots and making life miserable for us. But they have to have interpreters there. So when they, uh, it's their turn to speak, there has to be a whole series of interpreters. So I need urban interpreters to tell me what the mayor means when he refers to uh, a shorty. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. To all of you McWhitey Whiteys out there, to those of you who are thieves who work for Goldmine Sachs, he's not talking about shorting your customer, shorting the stock. No. What does he mean? Let's play it again, Billy. I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> but so, and you're right. I will tell you I met a shorty there. Very interesting because I think he's using the term for the wrong reason. I'm going to give you all an opportunity to answer that question. If you even try it, you'll get a Curtis Lee with Booby Price. Later on, we're going to play some cuts from the lame Frank Morano, The Other Side of Midnight, where he's arguing with people. He he is such a deadbeat when it comes to fulfilling his promises of giving booby prizes or cash prizes. He's such a welcher. You're going to hear him actually get into arguments with the callers, in which he's wrong. Once again, what? We're going to have to play it again. Uh, We we don't have a very large urban audience here, as you can see, Broadway Billy. And mostly Mick uh, Whitey Whitey's in the suburbs. Let's try it one more time. I I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. (laughs) But so, and you're right. By the way, uh, point of information, you may want to mark it on your calendar. Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, who's missing in action today, not in New York. I think he's out in the Hamptons, probably in uh, fundraising to become mayor again and to torture us all for four years over my dead body. But he has not surfaced anywhere in the city. His birthday's coming up September 1st, and the two twins that he hangs out with, in ways of which I'm becoming very suspicious of, I don't even think it's a simple business thing. Uh, the Petrosians, their birthday is September 8th. As you know, Eric Adams has an apartment that he shares with Tracy Collins in Fort Lee, apartment 22H. We've talked about that before. And both these twin brothers, the Petrosians, they have condos five blocks away in different directions. Now, three guys from Brooklyn, 
have apartments in Fort Lee. You know, normally, if you're living in Brooklyn, you're either going to go out to, like, Suffolk County. You know, you're going to take the Bell Parkway, Southern State. Uh, you'll take the Verrazano. You'll go out to Staten Island. Or you'll do the hop, skip, and a jump and go down the Jersey Shore. But who the hell from Brooklyn goes to Fort Lee? Eight-track stereo, color TV in every room. That's the American dream. You better come on in, man. Could be. I think some monkey business is going on. I'm not talking monkey pox here. Anyway, uh, what does Shorty mean, Sherry, in Brooklyn? Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sherry. Good morning, Curtis. It means a female, a woman, a chick, a girl. Hmm. So you're claiming that in the way he used it, he was referring to, uh, wait a second, his female, his female friend, a girlfriend, or it could be just a stranger. Well, I didn't get a full context that he meant, so it could have been just met a girl. Well, well, hold on. We'll we'll play it again because it's a little difficult, you know, because I need to know if it's a boo. A young woman who is loose sexually, or he's just catcalling out a woman that he really doesn't know. That could be one of the answers. But let's listen to it again collectively. I, I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but so, and you're right. Sherry? It could be that he met somebody he might have had a sexual inclination towards, let's say. That's why he said he couldn't say it on TV. Yeah, I think uh, we're getting close. We're getting warm, not hot yet. I think that's why he has his brother with him, Bernard, not that fake, phony, fraudulent excuse he used that he needed his brother to protect him from white supremacists. But I think Shorty, in the way he's using it, and he's not using it in its complete urban sense, but I think he's talking about a girl that a guy doesn't know but wants to meet. Or, or wants to hook up with. Correct. But he's not going to make the approach because he's the mayor. So he has his brother, Bernard, do that. Like, remember, Bill Clinton used to have the state troopers in Arkansas do that. Right. He has them run interference for him. I'll cover for him. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, anyway, stay on the line, Sherry. You're going to get a Curtis Lee with Booby Prize. I think we're getting warm now. We're not hot yet. In terms of uh, what Shorty means, stay on the line. Uh, make sure, Avery, that you uh, don't let Sherry slip through the cracks here. Let's go to Ari in Brooklyn. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ari. Hey, Curtis, how are you? I've had better yeah, days. Better days I know. <laughs> All right, now, Ari, uh, yeah. uh, I have a feeling you're a Booker boy. You study Talmud and Torah. What would you know about shorties? I told you, I spoke to you once before. I grew up in Brooklyn. So, shorty means, yeah, a girl you want to get with. Ah, now that seems to be the preponderance of the meeting. But what about. Just meaning a person who is shorter than average. You know, when you say, oh, a shorty over there. Nah, nah, that's not what he said. He said he he met a girl or he wanted to meet a girl. or Like, again, I, I didn't hear the full thing, 
But according to what I heard, he said he, he wants to meet or met a girl, and he can't talk about it. But, well, I uh, would uh, tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I wonder what the antonym to this, meaning what's the opposite to this would be. Would it be someone who's binary, who's both, you know, they and them? I mean, there's so many terms now, Ari. So many terms. You never know. 72 terms. Yeah, 72. Hey, you've learned it well. 72 different sexual terms. Uh, to indicate what way you like to uh, fornicate, uh, and 70, 72 different gender identifications that you can choose. That's right, 72 and growing. That's true, plus. We'll, we'll put a plus at the end of it. But, Ari, you, you stay on the line, because you went from warm to hot there, uh, Unlike the Frank Morano show where he's got alligator arms, and you're going to hear later on, what a welcher he is, man. He promises booby prizes and cash, and then he backs out out of it and fixes uh, that that fixed contest that he calls, you know, $1,000 for 60 seconds, uh, 10 questions, you get them right, get $1,000, he welches. You have to service all of the clients. He is a welcher, like his friend John Gotti Jr., Anyway, uh, uh, Avery, please take care of Ari. Make sure he gets a courtesy of booby prize. This is a man who has spent years studying Torah and Talmud. He's a rabbinical scholar, or at least I've deemed him to be that. But he, he got, he got, he got even closer. He got even closer than our previous caller. I need to hear that again, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, because, uh, it's taken me into the hood. I'm trying to think like a hood rat now. I, I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but so, and you're right. Hmm. So he's got that goofy laugh, you know? It's, that, it's like, uh, remember Hillary had that, the chortle. Uh, Vice President, he, he, he giggles, Harris, still in Hawaii, while the country's falling apart. <laughs> Uh, she giggles, Hillary giggles, and Eric Adams giggles. Now, does that mean his chromosomes are YX or leaning towards XX? Just asking questions. Just asking questions here. Let's go to Bill and Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. Underage girl who's not legal to have sex. Oh, so jailbait. Yes. Okay. All right. No, no, no. That that's even hotter than Ari was a jailbait. And remember what that was, Bill. Years ago, all of a sudden, you claimed I had no idea. The woman was underage. Turns out, you get told that boy, this is jailbait. And you know what you did right away, Bill? Ran the other way. Nope. You married a shotgun marriage. Oh, okay. I mean, well, in the in the modern sense, you could call this Epstein esque. Oh, that is brilliant! You have just applied Sleewanics. You have right. you have botulized the English language for the purpose of creating a word that sounds like it's a real word. 
Hallelujah. You're a wordsmith, Bill. You're a real wordsmith. But you're the closest yet into defining what Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, who likes to sample the nightlife, as he says. So I, I need to hear that one more time, uh, Broadway Billy. Each time I hear it, I hear something else in it. I know it's a shorty statement. Get it? Shorty statement. I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> but so, and you're right. I wonder what the antonym is to that, the opposite. Anyway. The, the, the giggle is the big mystery. Yeah. Yeah, that is. He's always giggling, which usually means he's nervous. Nervousness. That, that was Hillary's chortle. That's uh, Giggles Harris, the vice president's chortle. Let's go to Laura in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC. Uh, uh, what is your interpretation of what the mayor is saying when he uses that term shorty? Hey, Curtis, doesn't he believe that he's a hip hop king? Because I have a rather good, uh, good result that it means a female and the origin is hip hop slang. So I have it on pretty good reference from that, from somebody's to really big hip hop stuff. Now hold yeah, on, hip hop. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Here, he, he's weighing in right <laughs> there you now. Go. go ahead. Don't disconnect this moment. That's right. Oh no! First time in New York City history, we have a hip hop mayor. Good grief. Dyslexic, arrested, rejected, now I'm elected. (laughs) And he showed up, Laura, with a check for $5.5 million of our money to give to the Hip Hop Museum in the South Bronx. That's money we will never, ever see, Laura. Yeah, hip hop. Oh my gosh, the hip hop. Yeah, so from what I gather, it does mean a female, and the origin is from uh, hip hop slang. So Mm. now, Laura, you you don't you don't strike me as one who is familiar with that kind of street vernacular. No, 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 Mm. no. I don't know what the antonym would be, but Mm. uh, that that is uh, that that's still a mystery. But uh, apparently, it does come from hip hop slang. Who, who would have known that we would have had a hip-hop king, you know, to rule our lovely Gotham here? It's it's so sad. Oh, I, hip-hop mayor. Yeah, all, all I can uh, say, Laura, is the last hip-hop mayor was uh, in Detroit who ended up getting 28 years for corruption in a federal oh, prison in Fort Worth. And he was uh, given a uh, commutation of that sentence by then uh, President Donald Trump. We have a hip-hop mayor. Good grief. Yeah, but that's about all he's good for, right? Whoa, we don't need the hip-hop kings. We need people who are going to help us. Yeah, yeah. We have a hip-hop mayor. It's crazy. I mean, here he is. He's standing on the stage at 135th in St. Nick last Sunday with Slick Rick, who did five years upstate prison for getting involved in a shootout with homeboys and then racing down Bronx River with his pregnant girlfriend, smashes into a divider. It had a whole trunk full of guns, AR-15s. They deported him because he was an illegal alien in Jamaica. Somehow he ended up back here. 
when you consort, when you are in the company of a felon, if you are a police officer, you could lose your badge for that. He hangs out with Slick Rick. So it's not like he's just on the stage. Slick Rick is on one side. The man's on the other side. I get that. That's not hanging out with a felon. But he's a hip-hop man. But he's at the club with Slick Rick. Don't disconnect this moment. That's right. First time in New York City history we have a hip-hop mayor. First time. Oh, man, I'm telling you. It was a hip-hop mayor, Kwame Kirkpatrick. He had the earring just like Eric Adams. He had $5,000 customized suits, just like Eric Adams. He had that big, pearly, white smile, just like Eric Adams. He was the son of the congresswoman there who actually liked me and the guardian angel. Uh, Him, I did not like. It was like mixing ammonia and bleach. He told me straight up, you're a snitch. And I said, yep, I eat the Parmesan cheese. And he looked at me like, this white boy's crazy. Yeah, crazy? Who went to federal jail? Hip-hop mayor, Kwame Kirkpatrick. Where did he get that name Kwame from? He, you know he wasn't born with the name Kwame. Anyway, let's go to, uh, uh, let's see, Tom in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. I'd like to say, why don't you put all the chortles together? You put the mayors, you, you put the vice president and you put Hillary Clinton's laughter all together. That is brilliant, Tom. That we we must do that. Broadway Bill Lee, that's a little beyond Avery's ability. That's going to require your technical skills. But Tom, that's the trifecta, the troika, the trinity of a nervous a nervous laugh. I know with Hillary it was nervous, with Harris it's definitely nervous, and then obviously with Eric Adams it's nervous cuz he knows he's lying. That's why he's la- he's laughing. That is brilliant. 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Sliwa, 77 WABC. Now, he was not seen the mayor on Broadway... 74th Roosevelt, no, Queens. Wasn't seen on Broadway today, Manhattan, up in the Heights in Wood, no. Wasn't seen on Broadway in Bushwick, Williamsburg, no. Wonder where he can be. Anyway, let's go to Elvis calling uh, from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Elvis. Curtis, how you doing? Ah, Curtis, Curtis, the term shorty... It's strictly for a girl you want to sleep with. Here's the reason. If the if Adams would have met a woman in a club, he wouldn't have called her a shorty. Mm. He wouldn't have even told people he met a real woman. A shorty, when you tell your friends I met a shorty, it's a girl you're interested in sleeping with, and that's it. Now, because he has his brother, his aide-de-camp, uh, and he gave the fake reason, you know, originally, oh, to protect me from white supremacists. <laughs> uh, 
I think uh, the brother serves as a procurer. So if if he were interested, let's say, in a girl in the club, I don't think Eric Adams would approach the girl. I think Bernard's job is to see if she might be of interest. Correct. Yeah, boy, he's like, this this is what Clinton did with the state troopers in Arkansas. Remember Paula Jones? Yes, sir. Wow, and remember, the state troopers brought her up to his hotel room. I think it was like a Super 8 or a Motel 6 in Arkansas. Uh, he exposed himself, and Paula Jones was be able to describe the angle to the dangle that apparently is quite different than most men. And then I remember Abe Hirschfeld negotiated a settlement where he was going to give Paula Jones and her husband like millions of dollars. They had its big press conference. Abe Hirschfeld, yes, uh, I'm friends of Bill and Hillary. And you know something, Elvis? The check bounced. The check bounced. Abe Hirschfeld. You know what Abe Hirschfeld is best known for other than holding the, uh, owning the broken-down Hotel Pennsylvania? trying to uh, have his partner killed in a drive-by shooting. He went on trial for that. Abe Hirschfeld, oh, by the way, uh, a very dear friend of our own Frank Morano, who hosts The Other Side of Midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. Hopefully, he'll regale us with tales of that kukulamunga, that crackpot, that nut job, Abe Hirschfeld, who ran for every particular office in the state of New York. And all the politicians loved him. No, they loved his money. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Golden, Bo Snurley has jams like this, not. Do it, do it, Ohio players. It's in uh, league with the week uh, that just passed. 
National Roller Coaster Week. It started on August 16th. And the idea, Broadway Bill Lee and uh, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator and overnight producer, is that you would have taken the time to go out and ridden a roller coaster. Oh, check this jam out. Yeah. Coming up, Broadway Billy. Here it is. Oh, you got the hidden meaning of that, I see, Broadway Billy. You got it. You got it. Anyway, I was in Dayton, Ohio, giving an interview at a local uh, radio station where the uh, Ohio players are from. Now, I didn't get to meet the Ohio players, but they had their pictures all over the wall, and they had that classic album cover, where you had that drop-dead gorgeous woman covered in golden blossom honey. Oh, yeah. Holy shazam. That was risque. I mean, really risque. Anyway, the only other person I ever knew who came out of Dayton, Ohio, was uh, coming at you, Mike Gallagher, the uh, talk radio show host. Yeah, Mike Gallagher. Break it out. Time to get on a roller coaster. Now, you're going to take that roller coaster ride at Great Adventure, Six Flags. I don't think so. Well, at least five make that nine riders were injured on El Toro, the roller coaster at Six Flags Great Adventure in uh, Jackson Township. Uh, To earn a Curtis Lee Booby Prize, now that I mention Jackson Township, isn't that where that crazy... uh, Eccentric lady had tigers on her property. She had like, I think, 24 tigers in Jackson Township. Not part of Great Adventure or Six Flags, but rather was nearby. If you happen to know uh, where that was and who it was that had those 24 tigers, some of which got off the grounds and the Jackson Township police had to track them down. <laughs> tigers. <laughs> Tigers, llamas, and bears, oh my. Tigers and llamas and bears, oh my. Tigers and llamas and bears, oh my. Tigers and llamas and bears, oh my. Oh, man. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, I see the, uh, they got this CEO of Six Flags Great Invention. Now, he wants to raise all the prices. He strikes me as um, a bit odd. I think he's Lebanese. Uh, my personal experiences in Six Flags Great Adventure is like flags up, gangs. A lot of gangs at Great Adventure. Look, they just had a shootout at the one, uh, what, a few miles from Chi-Town. Every time I've ever been to a Six Flags Great America theme park, entertainment park, I run across gangs, and they got flags up. 
that means they got their flags around their neck, and then all of a sudden they got it right over their mouth, which means double trouble. It's like Jesse James and the gang. Their colors. Flags up, they call it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. at 1-800-848-WABC. Let's get through some of these calls here. Uh, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, because I want to talk about what may have been the most dangerous, the most dastardly, the most cutting-edge theme park of all time. In fact, it was called Traction Park, Accident Park, Class Action Park. I was there. I got to tell you, man, Vernon Township, New Jersey, Action Park. Wow. Man, line up those ambulance chases. The owners and operators, they were getting personal injury lawsuits all the time. And people were just mad crazy. Two people would die one weekend. Double the number of people would show up for those crazy, outrageous, insane-in-the-brain rides. I'll never forget, 82, two people died at the park within a week of each other, and they doubled the attendance. And then in 84, two people died again, and they doubled the attendance. It seems that people wanted the ultimate thrill. It's like a chicky out, you know, when you got two cars, and they're trying to go right to the edge of the mountain and see who's going to stop first, who's going to jam on the brakes first. Because whoever doesn't is going to go right over the mountaintop. Call that chicky out. Man. Action Park. You look out. The other side was Florida, New York. That's where the Colombo crime family would be laying up when the heat was on in New York City. That's where the uh, top top um, Polish polka band of all time, Jimmy Stir, Irish guy. He lives there. He's got the top Polish polka band. I think they won like 12 Grammys. And that's where they got the black dirt. Black dirt where they grow those sweet onions, the Polish farmers there. Yeah, Florida, New York, the other side. Uh, Vernon Township, you can see it there. They used to have the Playboy Mansion up there, yeah, in Sussex County, no more. Ski lift, you know, in the winter, and then Action Park, the moment the snow melted. Oh, was that wild! Our number is one 800 Let's go to Tom in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. All right, Curtis. Okay, shorty refers to a girl. My shorty is coming later, my girlfriend. I was talking to a shorty yesterday, any girl. There's a lot of fine shorties on my job. It only refers to a female, period. I don't know where this guy got this, this um... Hello? Yes. I don't know where this guy got this um, girl who wants to have sex. That's not true. That's not true. Mm. This refers to a female, period. That's all it refers to, shorty. So it may be somebody you see at a club that you like and you'd like to get to know, right? Any girl. It's, it, it, it refers to a female, period. Period. The sex, female, Okay, not yeah, but, a male, but a female. I Go know, but Tom, when you and I were growing up, it was simple. There was the XX chromosome, <laughs> and then there was the XY. We're the XY, they were the XX. 
Now, right, we got to be careful because it could be they or them. It could be non-binary. It could be bisexual. God only knows. You got to be so careful now. I know what it is. I know what it is. I'm I'm sure of it. I know what it is. Now, nothing but a female. Go ahead. Now, you've been to clubs, right? Yes. Okay. There is a rule now at a club in Sydney, very hot club. Uh, EDM, electronic dance uh, music. In fact, Shaq, Shaq O'Neal is over there. He's going to be spinning some stacks of wax. He's a very good DJ. They're paying him a lot of money. But there are new rules in this club. First time ever in any club in the world. If you stare at anyone at the club, you have to get their permission first. Okay. If you don't get their permission. They could kick you out. Now, you know Shaquille O'Neal. He's a horn dog. He's going to be staring <laughs> yeah. at all the Phillies. What mm-hmm. what security guard is going to come up to Shaq O'Neal and throw him out of that club? No one. And just because he's uh, – Shaq thing probably ain't going to throw him out. But um, you, know, I, you know what, Curtis? In a way, that's a little bit all right because if you stand at somebody, that's that's you know what I'm saying. That's a you make them feel uncomfortable. But if you're going to ask them, can you stare at them, and that and they would say, yeah, that's that's kind of what kind of crazy conversation would that be? You know what I'm saying? Can I stare at you? Yes, go ahead. Can I stare at you? Yes, go ahead. You know what I'm saying? Now I remember my wife was showing me some program. Because, you know, she cut the cord. So this is on, not cable, but this is on the big screen, the uh, computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a man and a woman taking turns going down an escalator in Vegas. And then they would turn around real quick and just stare at the people coming down. <laughs> it was like the what? weirdest show I ever yeah. saw. Yeah. And, and the people's look on the elevator was like, who the hell are you looking at? So what the hell are you yeah. staring at? Who are you eye fornicating? Who are you mad dogging? Come on, sucker. Yeah. So the stare Let's at get it on. anywhere, you know, would would be uncomfortable. Mm. You know, but um, how, how are you going to know who's staring at you? And I mean, come on, people stare at you, and you say, "Are you staring at me?" No. You know, just that simple. I don't know how they're going to force that. But, see, that can be used as sort of problem, too, so I don't think that's good. Oh, yeah. How many times, how many times... A uh, guy comes yep. up and say, "Who are you staring at?" He's, <laughs> you weren't even looking at the guy, but he's—you know—he yeah. wants beef. What you looking at me like that for? Don't you look at me like that? That's right. About a female too, just wanting you to get you beat up or something. Going to the security guard and say, "This guy keeps staring at me." Yep. You know. Yeah. Females will do that too. He keeps staring at my booty. <laughs> That's what they claim. They 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 get upset. They say, "Look, I, I was born this way." <laughs> Uh, you know, but you shouldn't be staring at my booty. What you looking at me like that for? Don't you look at me like that. And it causes... The security guard is going to say, which one? And <laughs> point him out. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody in the club. You know? Everything gets mad crazy then. Yeah. Oh, you want to yeah. fight? Yeah. You want to fight? <laughs> That's what it is. You know what? I miss them. I miss them days. I mean, like... 2000 maybe was over for me, but from 80 to 90, oh, my God, I had a ball. I had a ball with the nightlife in New York. Uncomparable, man. I mean, now, Tom, I mean everywhere. Tom, the, yeah. the nightlife, now, was this the legit nightlife of the club? We closed at like 3 or 4, or were you going to after-hours joints once the regular clubs closed? Exactly. 
Mm. Walk through the joints, close downtown. I'm going to the hole in the wall, the neighborhood spot. Let me let me I'm tell you something. That. that was double trouble, Tom. No, but I mean, not if it's your neighborhood spot. You're known there. You know what I'm saying? It's basically the the neighborhood's club, okay? Because everybody know each other. You know, we we're protected in there. You know, we we were the neighborhoods, so we wasn't strangers, and we wasn't saw, saw no trouble amongst ourselves. I know, but, but Tom, I mean, I, you you got to understand that was your neighborhood spot. I would show up a white boy. I was like a bleach <laughs> spot in the middle of a black inkwell. Well, you you know that. You know that. They were they not at all. The brothers were not at all friendly. The Latino guys were like, what the hell is he doing here? Is he a narc? Because they thought you were the cops. That's, That's right. right. They thought I was right a narc. Right there. And it depended on who you came in there with. If they and and that was even sketchy. Just because you might have came in there with a legit dude from an area, that wasn't you know to be, to be believed so much too until they really checked you out. You know, because guys used to bring guys and say, "Oh, this is my cousin," because they wanted to get high. Because the guy wanted to get high. I'm talking about drug dealer now. The guy wanted to get high. He needed somebody to show him where the cop and. Whoever was, yeah, this is my man. I know him from so and so. Just so even cops don't know the guy from hole in the wall. You know what I'm saying? That's and so that's dangerous. That can get people busted. So even though you came in with a legit guy, he's gonna be asked. You sure you know that dude? You sure you know that dude? You know what I'm saying? So uh, I mean, it's a little dangerous more than downtown, but but that's where it all hung out at. That's man, out, I used you know? to be there right near Cretona Park. Yeah. Those after-hour joints were dangerous with a capital D. Hey, you remember the, the V-Cops from the Veterans Shelter? Did you, you ever heard yes. of them? Yeah, over Veteran right by Cops? the Queensboro uh, uh, yeah. Tunnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to be one of them. Yeah, I no, they're before. excellent. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I had some guardian angels who were veterans that uh, hit some hard times. They ended up going to that shelter, and it straightened them out real quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that's the best shelter. Unfortunately, it's only for vets, but that is the best shelter. There's no yeah, doubt we about used to it. Do, do that. And we've seen y'all a couple of times, you know, on the train around that area because I'm quite sure the NR around there. That's right. Uh, um, Queens Plaza and Kingsborough Plaza. We've seen y'all a couple of times over there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was with that too. And uh, so, man, you know, I loved every minute of it. I would do it again. I know it was a little dangerous. What isn't? To live life and have fun is a little danger. You know, some females will even tell you, I like a guy that's got a little gangster in him, you know? Yeah, well, you know, they always like, they always like the bad guys. You know, uh, to an extent. They, 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 a lot of times their mommies and daddies would say, why, why are you going with that guy? Oh, you know, he's, he's rough yeah. around the edges, yeah, and always, known in the block, you know, so that's prestige. I'm this guy's girl. You can't mess with me. That's right. You know, you know and that's went on since I was uh, one years old, so in the 50s. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you see, uh, the problem for me, Tom, is you were known on the block. I'd show up on the block, and they'd say, let me tell you something. These are the rules. <laughs> you don't look. You don't touch. All you do is inhale and exhale and then get the hell out of here. <laughs> Why was that? You mean just moving into the block? Uh, moving into the club. You, oh, okay. Yeah, well, you have to get established. Once you get established, anybody knew it. Don't make a difference. If I go to a black place that I've never been there before, you know, I'm going to have to get established. Danger. 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 Danger
Now, the, I'm going to have to get established, too. The number know, one club, Tom, you see, if you really wanted to push the envelope, you go over to Newark, New Jersey, Club Zanzibar. Oh, Zanzibar. oh yeah, Zanzibar. my God, Club Zanzibar. Oh, man. But let me tell you something, man. In the 70s was the the, the garage. Come on, the garage. King Street, 7th Avenue, the garage. It was actually a garage where, where the cars were out of it with, on the second floor with this big, big room. That place. Speakers and you know about it? That place I never went to, Tom. Okay, okay. I never went to. It was to. on King Street and about 7th Avenue. It was the place to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a couple of places to be. That was a little different. That was a little more villagey. You know what I'm saying? And where it was at in the, in the West Village, too. But um, uh, that place and the only other place, I, I don't know. I just, like, I, I went around. I moved around. You know what I'm saying? I moved around. Yeah, but now so, uh, now you set. You set in your ways. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm done now. I'm 66 years old. I'm done. If I ain't done it by now, and it can't, I can't, it can't be done. <laughs> I see, if I but, ain't done it by now, then I ain't never gonna do it. Right, so, but you, you, you know, got um, your, you got your memories, Tom. You got your memories. Yeah, at least that. At least that. I love my past in New York City. I love it since '65, probably 1965, until infinity. I just love. I love my childhood, man. And you know. White, black, green, and blue, we had them all in the neighborhood, and the neighborhood was the neighborhood. We looked out for everybody. It didn't matter. The old ladies, Jewish ladies, uh, the Irish kids and all that. You lived in the block, you was down with the block, and the block looked out for the block. Okay? We didn't have that. We didn't have no racism. Uh, I've never been racist. I'm black. I've never been racist, and that's how I grew up, man. And oh, you're the right. Was the block. You're right. If you in, if you live in the hood, you down with the hood. Nobody's messing with you. Nowhere. Nowhere. Nobody's messing with you. That's true. Even if your parents didn't like us, yeah, you know, because it was a little mixed crew, and we was kids, and so. But the daughters, you know, we had a couple of Chinese daughters and an Irish daughter, and it, it got to a point where the mother used to say, "Just make sure my girls get home." That's all. Yep. Just make sure they get home because the girls wanted to go to a party, and we was all going as a block, but the moms didn't want to. But after a while, they said, look, these these guys will take care of them, okay? Y'all can go. Just make sure them guys bring you home. That's all. You know, it, it was a difference. It was a difference, man. Completely. I loved it. And I appreciate you sharing all that with us, Tom. See, Tom was given in the Bronx. He wasn't taken. He was sharing. He was given. He opened up. And, you know, it was like all of a sudden he was an artichoke there. At first, you took the leaves on the outside. They were a little bitter, a little stiff. And then you worked your way into the heart of the artichoke. And by then, Tom was, like, revealing. He was revealing. That's the way you eat an artichoke. Outside, going in. You don't go to the inside first and try to eat your way out. Oh, no, 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 no. Tom was a perfect example of that. He will never, ever forget growing up in this city that so many people now feel they have to leave, they have to abandon ship, they have no choice because things are getting so dire, so bad. And the value systems that we grew up with, just not around. 
People don't know their neighbors. There's none of that. You know, I got your back, you got my back. It's in the neighborhood now. Everybody is doing their own little thing. Things go on. They act like, well, we don't know what's going on. They don't. They really don't. When they say they don't know what's going on, they really don't. They live in their own little world, their own little prism. When we were growing up, you were on the block. You were out in the street. You knew the good, the bad, the ugly. You got exercise. You were running around. Your parents didn't have to take out a payday loan in order to keep you occupied. You got into trouble. But then again, you learn. As long as it wasn't deep, deep, deep trouble. But now, that doesn't happen. I'm looking at that story I revealed to all of you yesterday, that baby-faced thug who's now admitted that he was into uh, three of the beatdowns and robberies of the off-duty cops up in the Bronx. Apparently, they hit about 19 different people, three of them off-duty cops. And the family is saying, no, 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 not our son. And he, he wouldn't do anything like that. Like, are you crazy? Do you see him in that video, man? Hardcore thug. He pistol-whipping them. Nineteen of them. It's like, you think if he was a good kid, he would have said, ah, one and two, you know, I'm out of this. Nope. He was loving it. And now he's going to pay a big price. But you look at his face, and I'm sure many of you have seen the video. You saw him being processed uh, for arrest. He's going to give up those other guys like there's no tomorrow, man. He's going to give them up. They're going to have all four of them in a daisy chain perp walk, but they're going to be heroes in the hood. This kid's already a hero in the hood for pistol whipping cops, for robbing cops. No retaliation at all from uh, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. The Missing in Action Police Commissioner, see, well, did you, you see her? Nope. Visiting precincts, pumping up the morale? Nope. Issuing memorandums, her and Adams, uh, you can't congregate on it. Did they tell drug dealers you can't congregate? Nope. Did they tell uh, dope posses they can't uh, congregate? Nope. Did they do stop and frisk of these dope boys that we know they have? It's so obvious they're carrying weapons. They got the fanny packs now over their shoulder. When did it? Who the hell wears a fanny pack over your shoulder? You're carrying the toolie. A police officer, you realize that young man over there is carrying a gun. I don't know. Why don't you stop him and frisk him? I can't do that. I understand, but you do know he's wearing a fanny pack. He's probably got a gun, money, and drugs. I know that, Curtis. You know that. But they won't let me do nothing. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Denise, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Denise. Hey, Curtis. Curtis, you and I have spoken before about the carriage horses. When I heard that this carriage horse was sent to a sanctuary, I thought, you got to be kidding me. Try slaughter. I really mean it. I've spoken to you before, and I told you I was immersed in this nightmare mm. in the 90s with NY class. We demonstrated we had a lawyer that offered his services because the abuse was horrific. I don't know if there's a new strategy in place in order to put this abuse to end. But did you know, first of all, Eric Adams, forget about it. He is the last, I mean, the very last animal advocate. De Blasio, I don't know if you remember, 
when he was running, who I never liked anyway, but when he was running, he ran on a platform that when he got into office, he was going to ban the carriage horses. Yep. And then it became very political. Remember that? That they said, oh, no, no. You know, the only reason why you want to ban the horses is because your friend Nielsen wants the, the, the property of the stables, which are horrific. Well, I, uh, I must tell you, Denise, uh, the New York Post did a story earlier on Saturday. They included video. A group went into the stables, and believe it or not, they weren't turned away. I forget what. That's amazing. Uh, right. That's they amazing. walked in, and they just filmed it, and you saw the horrible conditions that these horses are are yeah. are forced to live in, and then naturally the rest of the time they got to go out and haul tourists around. I mean, right. imagine Denise, here you're a horse, you're waiting for your next ride. You got these four tourists uh, from uh, Iowa, where there are more pigs than people. A total weight of about one thousand two hundred pounds, and then your carriage horse driver is saying you got to haul him, and he starts whipping you, and you're looking back like, what? I know. <sighs> so, so Curtis, is there a new strategy here? Because let me tell you something. In the 90s, we tried everything. I mean, everything. I mean, NY class, as I said, demonstrations, a lawyer officer services, the abuse was horrific. I mean, there was so much rhetoric going on about this. It was mind-boggling. I called one of the stables. They were allowed one stable, by the way. Yes. I think there were five, if, mm. I, if I remember correctly. Mm. They allowed one stable by appointment only that you could go in and say, oh, look how pristine the stable is. There's nothing wrong with the way they are. Okay? And I called the stable one time for an appointment to come. The guy verbally abused me, like, right off the phone. Are you with the press? Who, do you, who are you with? Huh? Who are you with? How do you, why do you want to come here? You're going to write us up? What are you going to do? I mean, I couldn't believe it. And and at one point, they were supposed to be uh, – did I tell you I do have an, a, a photo of the electric car? Yeah, well, I will tell you, Denise, uh, Councilman Bob Holden is leading this effort along with New York class. They've been at it a long time, but Bob Holden is – Really leading the effort, he represents uh, Maspeth, Middle Village, Glendale, that whole area. And uh, I believe that um, what happened to this uh, horse, Ryder, uh, has gone uh, virtual all over the world. It's it's an image. Uh, I would equate it to the image, if you remember, during the Vietnam War, the young Vietnamese girl who was running, whose clothes had been burnt off by the napalm, that was the end of uh, our effort. When when Americans saw that, they were horrified. Uh, remember when you had all the um, migrants uh, leaving North Africa, going across the Mediterranean, landing in uh, Turkey, and then one of those children uh, died, uh, drowned, and then you saw the picture of that child on the beach. Boy, that there's certain images that will propel people to suddenly do something. And I think uh, this is one of those times uh, to look at that horse rider. And right now, nobody knows where rider is. They're claiming the horse carriage industry, the rider is retired, is frolicking, you know, in a sanctuary. Show us the documentary evidence. I don't trust them. Like you said, Denise, he could well have been sent to a glue factory, a slaughterhouse, 
There's no documentary evidence, and they need to be forced to do that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. on that D train going down to Sunset Park Brighton Beach earlier today boy the train sucked God oh we're fixing this track we're rerouting you N train going on the D train tracks took me a month of Sundays to get there garbage in the streets garbage everywhere never seen the city so dirty and then they got this new uh, sanitation commissioner named Tish you know, she's um, of that family who had passed the Grey Poupon. Uh, Jeeves, could you pick up that gum wrapper there? It's a horror out there. The city's just getting worse and worse and worse. By the way, the uh, swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, has not been seen anywhere today, which gives me uh, the belief that he's out in the Hamptons uh, getting wine dined in pocket line. Believe it or not, he's already raised a million dollars for his reelection, and he hasn't even done the job. In fact, some would suggest, Broadway Bill Lee, that he is, believe it or not, worse than Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of the Dope from Park Slope, who has now gone back to Cambridge to his roots. His rotten roots in Boston, where he has a fellowship at Harvard University, where he will be destroying a whole new generation of poli-sci students there. Good. A pox on you. Stay in Boston. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Block calling from New Rochelle. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Block. Yeah, getting back to the other subject, I once worked with a woman who got fired for talking about her social life. She used the term shorty to describe guys she wasn't interested in. She was a size queen, not a big fan of average white band, but she did like the Brothers Johnson. Hmm. Wow, man, you you were flipping there, average white band. Though I've heard Bill O'Reilly one time say, saw him in Kansas City, didn't like him. Uh, Brothers Johnson, very, very good. 
your impression, though, of the Ohio players that we started this session with? Oh, yeah, I saw them in 2016 at B.B. Uh, Kings. They were they were great. Well, very good. You have a you have a much better taste in music than uh, Bo Snerdley, a.k.a. James Golden, who thinks he's the musical curator here at WABC. Ex- he dated a guy that was, uh, you know, physically to her liking, but he had a terrible stammer. So he would say to her, uh, please call me. If no one answers, it's me. If no <laughs> go back to the phones it's bill calling all the way from tennessee where so many folks from new york new jersey pennsylvania and connecticut are moving to your turn to be heard here at wabc bill hi curtis i've i've been familiar with you for a lot of years i moved out of uh, jersey uh along with the millennium and i guess i led the charge hmm. anyway anyway uh the, with uh, with the uh, uh, tiger, that was Joanne Marishak, and that was the Tiger's Only Preserved Sanctuary. And you had a few of your facts uh, incorrect. Uh, first of all, she was a retired circus performer, and she started her Tiger Sanctuary because she did not like the way that uh, ti- retired tigers that were in the circus were treated. So she started a sanctuary for the tigers, and the tigers were penned up. You know, they lived in a commune, and they were surrounded by dogs. And that tiger that was found near Great Adventure was not one of hers. Ah. As a matter of fact, the state uh, came in, and every one of the tigers uh, that uh, that uh, they had licenses for were there, uh, plus she had two cubs that you know that weren't even registered yet because they didn't have to be registered till January first. Now, did and, she handle all of that on her own? Uh, yeah, I mean she had uh, you know uh, local people uh, you know contributed, but by and large she handled it pretty much on her own. That's amazing. I do know uh, that uh, she was right by uh, Six Flags uh, near. Uh... Well, she, well, she was in the uh, she was in the same town, but Jackson uh, is in area is a very large town. What what has be, what has become of her and the uh, Tiger Sanctuary? Uh, that is a sad story. She was driven into bankruptcy. And uh, she wound up having to sell. And uh, she, uh, one of the experts at the Bronx Zoo said, tigers cannot live in uh, communes. So she had to pay to have all the tigers euthanized. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. I do apologize. I do apologize because obviously uh, that had to be extraordinarily difficult to – manage uh, Tiger Colony, uh, and also um, I'm sure there were a lot of people who were scared out of their mind living in the immediate area thinking a tiger would get loose and go rampaging through the community. Well, the, well there were several developments uh, that were in very close proximity, and they never even knew it was there. 
Hmm. But and it's she had it was a, it was a pen and she had a very large fence around it and then uh surrounding it there was a pen of dogs and the tigers were taught to fear the dogs so they did not even go near it. Hmm. And so so even if they did get out of their enclosure they would have had to have gotten past the dogs and you know they were afraid of them so they wouldn't wouldn't even have tried to get through it. Well, thank you for correcting me on uh, that misinformation I was giving out. Avery, let's uh, take care of Bill in Tennessee, who's uh, left New Jersey to go to Tennessee like so many others from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania are. It's not Tennessee. It's Texas or Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, or parts unknown. But the exodus continues here. Boy, sorry the way that... uh, Story was revolved, euthanizing all those tigers. She had quite a few tigers there. I remember I had sent Joel Santistaban, who was our roaming reporter down there. Remember, he was counting, uh, I think he was up to about 22 tigers when the police came by and chased them uh, off the property. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's see if we can go to William in Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, William. Hey, Curtis, how are you, sir? I uh, I grew up, uh, you were a, a hero to us in Brooklyn, so I'm in Florida now. And uh, you are right about great, uh, the uh, Action Park out there. It, it was it was wild. I mean, I, I remember the, the 15-year-old and 17-year-old sisters who ran the uh, wave pool. <laughs> I mean, they weren't even of age to run something like that, but, I mean, it was wild. I mean, the flume ride that you, you came down on that track, I mean, you had one stick to slow you up as a brake, which never worked. And I, I don't know how many times I flew up that track and laughed. You know, we laughed about it. You know, we didn't even have helmets on. So it was a different era. And, I, you know, I even skied that place when, you know, when, in the wintertime. It was, it, I think it was called Deer Run or something like that. But uh, it was, it was, it was fantastic, though. Well, that, that's just it. There'd be fatalities or serious injuries. It would be well reported. And that and would just encourage more people to come. Oh, man, they started serving alcohol, too. And the, I remember the, the sisters, they had friends that they were all underage serving alcohol, selling it. And they never asked you for an ID. It was, it was just, it was wild. I mean, uh, I, it was great. I mean, we used to, we used to leave. I went to Lincoln and Brooklyn. And we used to get a bunch of kids together and go out there on weekends and just have fun, have a blast. Well, what I liked, uh, they had these battle action tanks. <laughs> yeah. And so you yeah, could but... go in there for like five or ten minutes and you could start attacking the other tanks with like tennis <laughs> balls. And you're riding around, you're shooting at people. It's like you got the feel of war, like you're a tank yeah. commander there. It was just it was it was out of control. It was out of control. But you know, I mean, it was it was part of where we grew up. And I mean, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. You know, I don't know, Curtis. I've, I've been out of that city thirty four years. Um, I'm, I'm down here in Florida, and um, I just I just seen it. I, I worked for a company that that uh, that fast service was a debacle and started all the stuff. I got out of there long before that happened. I saw stuff that. It make your hair stand up, and, and and I just I don't know. I but I'm embarrassed to say I'm from New York now. 
I mean, seeing what I was, I was rooting for you to win because this guy Adams. I know. Listen, I know retired cops that are down here that went to went to the academy with him, and uh, he was a POS to them back then. He was looking to sue the city for racism and discrimination when he was in the academy. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. His his uh, goal was to stir up trouble. It wasn't to be a proactive cop. Uh, he was a desk uh-huh. jockey. He was not. Uh, somebody who went out there and made collars, somebody went out there and took risks. He was a, a desk jockey. No other way to describe it. Oh, I I agree. And and I, I, I wonder now if anybody did a poll um, in retrospect to think back of how, you know, just like you know, they're saying one in six Biden voters wouldn't have voted for Biden if, if they knew about Hunter Biden. But I wonder how now that he's on the job, how many would have, would have voted for you? Oh, no, his his numbers uh, uh, give you an idea. His approval rating is at 29%. That's way below Biden, 29%. Uh, and he acts like it's an aberration, like, no, that can't be true. It's, it is. It's 29 30%, and it ain't going up. You know, once you go down, it's kind of difficult to uh, sort of level off and then go back up. Uh, so we're stuck with him, but, uh, unfortunately, as you know, the history of New York City, when you had Dinkins, it got worse, yeah. and that eventually woke people up to the point where they finally elected Giuliani mayor, and, right. uh, unfortunately, it's gonna have to get worse here. Where in Florida do you live, William? I live in Punta Gorda. I'm, I'm in between Sarasota and Fort Myers on the Gulf Coast. So do, you, do you see? Do you see a lot of snowbirds coming down there? We do. Um, we we are probably. I own I own a bakery here, so um, I I see our our business drops off fifty percent uh, in the in the uh, in this, the the uh, summer months. But you know, we got used to COVID. You know, they didn't go home the snowbirds. They stayed they stayed in the free state of Florida, and um, so we got used to big numbers in the summertime. And then this year they went back home, so we kind of we kind of feel it. And now compounded with the recession, that uh, I don't call it a recession, uh, Curtis, because um, in the food industry we're, we've seen inc- price, wholesale price increases of sixty to one hundred and thirty, one hundred forty percent. We we call it a depression. Mm. Uh, you know, you can't buy a chicken wing no more. I mean, I, I remember when, when my dad's place in New York. I mean, we we uh, they used to give chicken wings away at the bar, um, but you know. Last uh, two years ago, when when Trump before Trump left office, that they were forty bucks for forty pounds. Now they're one hundred forty-seven dollars for forty pounds. Wow! You know we can't afford that. I mean, we had to take it off the menu, but so because we have a restaurant with the bakery. But it's you know it's 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 insanity. But you know we have we see snowbirds. We love them. You know they come down, and, and uh, uh, a lot of New Yorkers uh, are starting to come to the West Coast now. Most of the people here are from the Midwest, but we get a lot of New Yorkers. And, they're shocked to see an Italian bakery, and and, uh, and uh, it's 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 pretty cool. It's nice. I love it. I raised my kids down here, and and uh, they hear the stories about the '80s. You know, they swear to God I was the the wolf of Wall Street in the '80s, but you know, <laughs> I try to tell them it's not true. But um, you know, it's 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 a different life down here. But I'm in back. I love that city. You know, I'm, I'm a Mets fan. I know you're a Yankees fan, but I'm a Mets fan. You know, and and uh, and by the way, I do agree with you because with the Yankee Stadium deal, um, it's not it's it's it is a mall. No, and, it's and uh, I, I I can't go there and watch baseball. Field. I can't city go field. there. Uh, I know City Field is a mall too. I mean, 
Yeah, um, but it, it's better. I, I remember when it first opened up, I was the guest uh, of a guy I always make fun of. I still do, the Will Ponzi's. Fred Will Ponzi. He, he loved me. I was from Brooklyn. Oh, Curtis. Yeah, you're a Yankee fan. You're just, uh, you're mistaken. But at least it's the feel of a ballpark. Yankee right. Stadium does not have the feel of a ballpark. I couldn't have been more disappointed. And then you can't just walk anywhere in that park. It's basically they have a moat with alligators that separate people <laughs> from the top loge uh, to the people who sit below. They they don't let people mix. No, it's right. uh, it's segregated. Yeah. Well, it does not. You, you do not have the feel in Yankee Stadium of it being an old-fashioned ballpark. But I will tell you this. As William shared with us his experiences uh, at Action Park, and I certainly did, there is a, a documentary out there, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. if you ever want to see what we're talking about, the craziest place. They were self-insured. They carried no insurance because nobody would insure them. It was called Class Action Park. Class Action Park. They just kept suing the guy, suing the guy who owned it. Didn't matter. I wonder, I wonder if the, their, their lawyers were the Colombo family or something because they got away with so much. I mean, they they just. I mean, in retrospect, you look back now and you say we were crazy for going there because it was just it was an accident waiting to happen, and people did die. You're right. I mean, you're not exaggerating. When when but, I when I first went there, they had a Dolly Parton lookalike contest and a tobacco <laughs> juice spitting contest all at the same time. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh! Every... I'll tell you what, if you didn't go with a girl, you wound up with a girl there. Yep, that place was just—I mean, it was never empty, never. No, and again, as I would say, they would have uh, articles in the newspaper on the news: two people died this weekend, six people in the ICU. You know, they'll probably be debilitated the rest of their life. Double the number of people would come to Action Park. True. True. And they'd want to ride. They'd want to go on the ride where they had read uh, the most problems. Like they had a gladiator challenge that was just like uh, you saw on TV, you know, American Gladiator. Except here, they would let you hit each other and knock yeah. each other out. There, oh were, there were like no rules, no regulations. There were no rules. They no. had souped-up no. go-karts. You know how you have these meek, mild yeah. go-karts? Man, you got into these super go-karts. They were like funny cars at Raceway Park. It's yeah, incredible. And they let you not go around this, the circle all the same way. They would let you turn around and go head on. That was the amazing thing. You know, you weren't supposed to, but they didn't care. Nobody said anything. No. Nope. You just started, you know, head-on collisions with people. <laughs> I remember they they had this thing called the cannonball loop. And I'm telling you, you were loopy when you came off of that. <laughs> it took you like 10 minutes to get your equilibrium. Oh my gosh. You were like kidding. And then they yeah, had, they had, they had the tidal wave pool, uh, oh. which would actually create a tidal wave and they would refer to it as the grave pool. And people, yeah. people would go running in there. The tidal wave is coming. The tidal wave is coming. More people would go in there. Run by a 15 and 17 year old sister. Yep. I mean, crazy. Crazy. 
complete. You know, there'll never be another place like that. There's no way because you you would have to have all kinds of insurance. But True. apparently True. back then, Jersey did not require insurance for a park like that. So they were able to sort of slip through the cracks and claim they were self-insured. Clearly, they didn't have insurance because eventually they were bankrupted. Uh, all those personal injury lawsuits, ambulance chases, they were lined up. It's true. Hey, Curtis, did you ever go to the limelight? Yes, the slime light, as we called it. <laughs> yes, it I was. couldn't believe it. The first time I went, I said, this is a church. What the hell are we doing here? And it it was decadent. It was debaucherous. It was just totally off the hook. Yeah, it was. It was. It gave you a feel. I was there uh, one time, and it gave me a feeling of just eeriness to be inside there. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't. It, I didn't. I didn't like the feel of it because the way I was brought up, you're in a church. Right. You know, even though it was no longer a church, it just felt like. Gee, people shouldn't be acting like this. This place used to be a church. <laughs> hey, but thank you for your service, man, because uh, seriously, there were a lot of times, I mean, like I said, in the, in the late 70s and early 80s, riding home in the subway, you know, coming from Madison Square Garden or Shea Stadium or whatever, and we'd see the, the guardian angels on there, and we and we did we did feel good. You know, we felt we felt safe, and uh, that was all because of you So and, and, and your gang there that, that, that just patrolled the subways. Well, thank so, uh, you, and uh, William, thank you for the memories, and I know you're going to be welcoming a lot more snowbirds down there as the exodus to Florida continues. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Gentlemen, it's amazing. We talk about crowds coming to Action Park. The more accidents you had, Coney Island, the whole damn thing would burn down. And then people would just come back. They had three, count them, three roller coasters. So not just the cyclone. They had three super spectacular roller coasters. Obviously, different than the ones you write on at Great Adventure. I really don't like the ones at Great Adventure. And I wrote a few of them. We did a uh, promotion out there uh, when Disney owned us at WABC and uh, Sean Hannity, uh, Rockweb, the all-American conservative voice of reason from Franklin Square, Long Island, did one of his uh, performances there in which he invited a lot of people, uh, all kinds of uh, singers and performers, in order to raise money for veterans' funds, place was packed. I just didn't like the rides. I know they're modern. I know they're death-defying. I know they're created uh, to give you the feel that it's an out-of-body experience. But 
Give me an old-fashioned roller coaster like we had in Coney Island, or my favorite was at Rockaway Playland. Yeah, oh, you didn't have to wait online for a month of Sundays. Up next, who is your favorite teacher as we take you back on the time machine? Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around. But those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Who'd have thought they'd need Oh, I felt that way today after I had finished uh, doing the early Saturday morning show. So nicely, let me do it twice, 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. I take you to the break of dawn. I had to head out to Sunset Park in Bensonhurst where we were introducing a new guardian angel patrol to the area because, oh, the crime is just off the hook. And uh, it's mostly uh, Asians who join the Guardian Angels there because, as you know, Asians are under severe attack in all five boroughs. 328% increase in attacks on Asians in the five boroughs. And it doesn't show any sign of abating. And we have now predominantly uh, Guardian Angel Asian patrols in Flushing, in Woodside, Queens, Chinatown. And now on 8th Avenue in Bensonhurst, which is uh, increasingly becoming more Asian. Uh, Sunday, tomorrow, will be the last day of the uh, 18th Avenue uh, feast. And in the nights that I've been there, actually, I was only there on the one night, uh, Friday night, but Guardian Angels have been there other nights. It's about a third, a third, a third, a third Asian, a third Latino, and a third uh, ethnic white, mostly Italian. That'll change, too, as more ethnic whites leave. More uh, Latinos move in and more Asians move in. But in taking the D train and the N train and the R train today, passing some of the high schools and junior high schools along the way and the public schools as we were walking around, it really took me back to my roots. And as I was thinking, all the great teachers who had dedicated their lives to teaching other people who maybe are no longer in the five boroughs of the city of New York and have become world travelers or are living in remote areas of uh, the globe or, like a lot of Americans, have packed their bags and gone south of the Mason-Dixon line. So with the start of school, in some places school has already started up, soon here in New York City, the largest public school district in the country, that now has 120,000 less students enrolled, 120,000. And they're scratching their heads and say, where do they all go? Hey, guess what? Uh, parents or whoever their guardians are, 
Uh, I'm not at all happy with the education and the brainwashing they're getting in the public schools at taxpayers' expense. So they're homeschooling a lot of them. I've met probably 12 uh, families in the last 10 days who told me that they were homeschooling and not for religious purposes, but to basically keep their kids out of harm's way. They say, look, we work hard. We uh, rotate teaching our children, husbands, wives, dependent on their job schedules. But we're not going to send them to the local public school because all the things we protect them from, all the things we shield them from in our house, they're being exposed to, and then it's like a different person returning into the home. So they're homeschooling. And then increasingly more people are qualifying for charter schools, although they're trying to cap the charter schools, as they always do. Uh, There are less and less students in the public schools, although you hear them moaning, groaning, and squawking that with all the illegals coming in uh, from south of the border into Texas, and then they're pounding the hound, coming to the Port Authority, uh, there'll be a few extra thousand kids who will be enrolled in the public schools of the city of New York. You got 10,000 Ukrainians who uh, have to find sponsors, and then they'll be living in the five boroughs. So, yeah, you're going to have an increase But it's not really an increase because you already lost 120,000 students. And they didn't just disappear. They're still being educated, but differently than in the public schools here because parents had pretty much given up on the public school education. Whereas when I went to school in the early 60s, the public schools, in fact, were superior to the parochial schools. You'd go to a parochial school class when they still had nuns and priests and brothers but mostly still uh, lay teachers and in some of the catholic schools you'd have 40 kids in a class and they were at different levels you know you had the advanced kids but they were mixed in with the uh, kids who were moving at a very moderate level and then you had the kids who were learning at a very slow pace they were all in the same class which the public schools were able to do it better because they had the advanced classes where they put all the advanced kids together, and then they had the middle-level classes, and then you had where my cousins went, the Supreme Cousines, 4F, 5F, 6F. There was no grade level lower. You know, you went from uh, 4A to 4F. Uh, Luckily, I was in 4A. Uh, Joey G., the Cheech from Howard Beach, uh, Lenny Beans, Bianchino, my cousins, They were in uh, 4F. Uh, We now, although you can't even refer to it as such now, special ed, there was nothing wrong with them. They were just troublemakers. You know, they were giving the teacher a hard time. They were giving their fellow students a hard time. And next stop for them was vocational high school. Best thing that ever happened to them. They learned to trade. They ended up having their own businesses, fending for themselves, putting other young men, young women getting them a trade, getting them licensed, getting them to be an apprentice. They ended up having a craft and a trade, a negotiable skill. Some of them eventually ending up having their own small businesses. And it was uh, it made such a difference, uh, vocational uh, education, of which there is very little of it going on in the public school system now, not to the extent that it was when I went to school. And then you have all the professional schools that pick up the slack Once the kids get out of high school, Apex, all those uh, schools uh, where you get a Pell Grant, 
And boy, does that get abused, the Pell Grants. We're going to have to devote a show just to all the abuses and ripoffs of the Pell Grants that have existed for years. Back in the 60s and early 70s, kids would get a Pell Grant. None of it would go for their education. They'd be cars, be buying albums, clothes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got a Pell Grant. Are you spending it on school? No, what are you talking about? Clothes, car, albums, you name it. Everything other than an education. But all along the way, no matter what school you may have attended, whether you're homeschooled, whether you went to a public school, a parochial school, a private school, or now the charter schools, generally there was a teacher who came along who made and had an indelible uh, effect on you in terms of your thirst for knowledge, your thirst to learn. You may not have been a, a very good student before you met that teacher. You may have not necessarily focused all your attention on your studies. You may have been looking out the window, couldn't wait for that uh, final bell to ring, and then you could break out. And then all of a sudden, you went into this class at the start of the school year, and you were galvanized. You'd say, wow, this is so different than what I've been exposed to before. This teacher makes me actually want to go to the library after school. Juan wants me to go and do extra credit, and I'm more than happy to do it because he's got me motivated or she's got me motivated motivated to learn. And it isn't, uh, it isn't a pain in the butt like it is with some teachers. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ann in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Hi, Curtis. I just wanted to share with you a teacher that I had that was wonderful um, in middle school. He made us in the Gettysburg Address. He took us to see um, a, a different movies, and he was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, influence on all of our lives. And uh, teachers do make a big difference. What was the name of the teacher? Uh, Blake, Mr. Blake. He and, was one that he took us to see West Side Story, Gone mm. with the Wind. Um, he he was just oh he was above and beyond. And uh, what school did he teach at? It was Haddam Killingworth Middle School in Haddam, Connecticut. Mm. And he, he was so he he was dedicated to his craft. His uh, oh, he was he was. A wonderful, wonderful person. We have several teachers. He was one of them. He was just a wonderful man. And yet, all these years later, you still remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, my gosh. I can picture him right now. I'm 68, and I can picture him. I just just loved him. Well, you know, I had a uh, fifth-grade teacher, Alan Topol, who was the best teacher that I ever had. I mean, just no one else came close. The first day I went into his fifth grade class, you know, my mind started to wander. I was starting to get to that age where I wasn't totally focused on my studies. From day one, this guy made me want to come to school every day. And I was always looking for ways to shorten the school day or avoid going to school. And, boy, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning and get to school and then go go to the library and do after-school uh, extra credit reports. He just had a way of making you want to do it. He didn't force you to do it, but he was full of vitality. He, he would breathe life into subjects 
that other teachers, maybe they didn't have the ability or they didn't have the charisma, but you actually felt the subject. I remember first lesson that we had to do was to go out and it's fall, collect leaves and put a scrapbook together of leaves with mm-hmm. the saran wrap, you know, so that you can see what leaves they were. And then we'd have to determine, were they oak leaves? Were they maple leaves? Were they poison mm-hmm. ivy leaves? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it's funny because it sounds so simple now, but then when you look back, it wasn't. It, was... it, really, it really meant a lot. And it's funny you say fifth grade because I had my teacher's name was Mr. Marslack. Yes. And the same thing we had, I had a, um, we had a, he said, I'll give whoever can memorize, um, I can't remember the name of the, the poem, Under the Chestnut Tree. I can't remember um, the name, exact name. He said, whoever can memorize this, I'm going to give you, I mean, back then, a quarter. I went home and memorized the whole thing. Yeah, I and I remember we, we had to bring in our albums of the leaves uh, with the yeah. notations of what leaf and the history of these trees and and what these trees were best known for. So one kid named Mark, who's like brilliant with math, he actually had found some marijuana leaves unbeknownst to him. This is in the 60s. So Alan Topol sees this. Naturally, he recognizes it. He brings it down to the assistant principal, the dean's office, and they confiscate this kid's album. Where did you get this? He, he got in in the lots, you know, because marijuana sometimes grew wild. And uh, he assumed that, that was, uh, those were leaves from a tree. And, and naturally, you could imagine, this is fifth grade. The kid was like, oh he was traumatized. He thought he, you know, some kind of narcotic back then, you know, because they had everybody believing that marijuana was like uh, the equivalent of fentanyl, the way we talk about fentanyl now. Oh, I know, back then. Right, oh, so, okay. you know, the parent. But the, isn't it amazing, though, Curtis, like uh, the teachers can make, I mean, a, a amazing difference. Oh, without a doubt, and also jumpstart a young person who maybe was bailing out, meaning they would go to school, but they would just basically glide through the day. And then you run across this one teacher who's able to galvanize you, reinterest you, refocus you, and uh, you can never forget. You will never forget that teacher. It leaves an indelible mark on your body, mind, and soul. You know what else is funny? It's like I, I always felt like I learned the most when someone had a sense of humor. Yeah. And uh, there, and I, I remember as seventh grade, a math teacher, I wasn't great at math. And he was always, I mean, we just had a rapport. And he'd go down those, the um, aisles and blah, blah, blah. But he'd always say something to me. And he was funny. And I learned so much in that class. And entertaining. That was the other thing, not to be a, a clown or not to turn the lesson into, a, you know, entertain the kids in order to engage them, but to be interesting enough to tell narratives, uh, to be able to connect the dots with your words and paint pictures, and that just stimulated the kids, stimulated well, them. You know, well, you know what else I think? I think they liked it. I think I knew the teachers that liked being there, and I could tell the teachers that didn't like being there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there were a lot of teachers, they could get through the lessons and they would teach you well, but they just seemed to lack the passion. I don't know if they had been uh, sort of uh, beaten up, uh, not 
terms of physically, but just mentally beaten up uh, because this is not really what they want to do, uh, didn't want to do uh, for their life. Uh, you were able to learn from them, but there was no passion that emerged from them. There was no sense of excitement, electricity, about education, about reading, about writing, about exploring ideas and concepts and having debates and discussions. And that's what Alan Tobel did for me and a lot of my fellow students. Um, now, was, he, was he your fifth grade or your eighth grade? No, he was my fifth grade teacher, fifth grade. Fifth grade teacher, yeah. And you know what I always I say I don't I don't know if "rote's" the right word, but it's like uh, some teachers just seem like they just went by the book and they just you know what I mean. They didn't have the heart in it. Yeah, or uh, they had been beaten down by the system because they either couldn't teach the subjects they really wanted to teach that they were passionate about, or administratively they got strangled uh, with all the requirements. Or uh, they were just intimidated by the kids that they were given responsibilities for uh, in the lower grade levels. When I say lower grade, I mean uh, the tougher classes, 4F, 4E, 4D. You know, it would get a little easy at 4C and 4B, and obviously 4A were the advanced kids. Man, you got down into 4F, 4E. Hmm. These kids were like hardheads. Yeah, they were not gonna. They were gonna give you a hard time in the classroom, plus give each other a hard time, and they really didn't want to be there. Some of them. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters. And the lake has alligators. And the head coach wants no sissies, so he reads to us from something called Ulysses. Now I don't want this should scare you, but my bunkmate has malaria. You remember Jeffrey Hardy? They're about to organize a searching party. Take me home, oh motherfucker! Take me home. I hate Granada. Don't leave me out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Take me home. I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys. Oh, please don't make me stay. I've been here one whole day. <laughs> that was the great punchline of Alan Sherman. I remember seeing him on with Ed Sullivan waiting once again for the appearance of the Italian little mouse Topo Gigio, who I think was on either 68 or 86 times, but... When I saw Alan Sherman do this uh, routine about camp, made you want to listen. And this song was top 40 also. 
That's right, Broadway Bill Lee. You would hear this on WABC, although I didn't listen to WABC because it was only Top 40. I listened to WMCA where they broke music and WWRL for the uh, R&B and WINS before it was uh, 20 minutes. We'll take you around the world with news. It was a music station. A lot of people don't realize that. Anyway, back to the phones we go. It's David in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Yes, Dave. Hello? Yes, Dave. Do you hear me? Loud and clear. Let's see if we can get you on a, a better line there. See if you can improve the connection there, Avery. In the meantime, let's go to Russell calling all the way. Is that from Raleigh, North Carolina, Russell? Yeah, that's right, Curtis. Hey, listen. Listen, I had a teacher in uh, eighth grade. Her name was uh, Mrs. Holdgate. She just. God rest her soul. She passed away this past Christmas. And I kid you not, man, I she sent me a Christmas card every year up until, well, she didn't send one last year because she was sick. But but for all those years, from 1984, man, and uh, I mean, I didn't realize it at the time how much she cared. And it it, it, it came to me later, and it's like, wow. You know, and I tell my kids, look, you got a good teacher, man. You got to you got to love that teacher, man, because they're not in it for the money. God knows. You know what I mean? And it's like, hey, you know, I mean, they're the best. They're the best. The best are the best, if if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Now, question uh, down in Raleigh, now North Carolina, how many snowbirds do you see coming down there from up our oh. way? I've been here 22 years, and, um, you know, I, I don't really miss Connecticut. There's things I miss, but but anyway. But, uh, oh, lots, lots and lots, mostly uh, New York. But here's the thing. The New York and New Jersey thing has been cool. But now we're getting all these people from California, and they're paying like they're they're going crazy with the housing. So they're like, oh, wow, you know, you got some – little house, you know, a three-bedroom, two-bath. Mm. And they're like, oh, it's 700000 Yeah, that's cheap. So they jump on it, and they're driving the prices up. It's the California people. Yep. And uh, so we're like, we're like, hey, you know, look, you want to come here, that's cool. But leave it, you're coming here for a reason, so leave those politics behind. Because, you know, I, I was a Sliwa for mayor kind of guy. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> And I mean, uh, it's like, do you really think uh, Zeldin has a chance, though? Yes, yes, he does. He he does. Um, He's got to raise the money now because when he went through the primary process uh, through the guy I preferred, Andrew Giuliani, son of Rudy Giuliani, although he lost by 20 points, and then it was Rob Astorino and a guy named Wilson that depleted Zeldin of a lot of resource. so he's got to try to catch up because uh, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb has a war chest of about $17 million. Um, uh, DeSantis, uh, in a few hours, will be helping uh, Zeldin raise money in Oyster Bay, Long Island. He's come up from Florida to do that. There's going to be a fundraiser at Bedminster that Donald Trump is hosting uh, at his golf course uh, and his spread uh, in New Jersey. Uh, he's got to be able to uh, uh, get some money in order to be able to compete. But 
Everything is about crime. Everything is about public safety, quality of life, and uh, New Yorkers are not at all happy. But it's interesting because you mentioned Californians. Do you believe this, that Gus Newsom, the pretty boy uh, governor of California who would like to be uh, president over our dead body, he's put billboards up in San Francisco and Los Angeles at taxpayers' expense in California Warning against moving to Texas by talking about if you move to Texas from California, you'll probably become a victim of a mass shooting. I mean, is that not ridiculous? Is that, I mean, is that the best you can do to try to convince I mean, your local people not to go to Texas? That's like that's like, hey, look, no, I'm the hot guy. No, really, I'm the hot guy. It's like, wow, what a loser. What a freaking loser. Yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, yeah. All right, Curtis. I do appreciate that, Russell. Russell from Raleigh saying a lot of snowbirds coming about, but a lot of Californians, a lot of Californian raisins coming out there, which is, uh, you know, North Carolina is just barely red. With those Californians, it'll be purple. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ann in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Hi, Curtis. Uh, we're talking about teaching. I think I taught at the school uh, that you went to on Eastern Parkway uh, and uh, Utica. Yeah, that was St. Matthew's. Yeah, it became a public school. Yeah, yeah. At, 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 that is correct. At, at, at first, it was uh, Josephite nuns, uh, which were the Irish nuns, uh, right there on the corner next to the bank. Uh, yeah, yeah. I used to go to that bank and stand in the line for half an hour on my whole lunch period. <laughs> well, that's where I got my first uh, savings account through the school. You, you know, in your class, each of the kids yeah. had to have their 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 little bank book even though it only had like 28 cents in it, because this was going to teach you that you had to be uh, fiscally uh, careful with whatever money you had. Oh, that's great. Wow. That's, that's fabulous. That is wonderful. I, I was a, I was a regular sub uh, as a speech teacher mm. and I used to ride my bike to all the schools around there. Uh, uh, to like I'd have two or three schools in one day, you know, and uh, I lived in Crown Heights for seven years and taught taught down there and uh, taught at um, Park West High School. Uh, 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 let's see, uh, in uh, oh, I taught all over well, for now, thirteen years. I Park West, Park West, that, that was a tough school and a very large school with a lot of students. What what uh, subject were you yeah. teaching there? I was teaching English. That was my baptism of fire. It was in 1978, and they had three schools. They had aviation, maritime, and uh, food services all in one building. And I went and they they had uh, three teachers. They they had three teachers gave up on them, and uh, I was the fourth. And uh, so. Um, uh, I had I had to have the job, and it came out in the New York Times, uh, uh, Park West High School, uh, Dodge City, because they had guns at school. And um, but I love those kids. I had I had thirty eight senior boys and several from Rikers. 
And uh, I, I found out that I think I called and, and uh, asked your wife, uh, you know, the, uh, the other night, uh, two dogs fighting. If you have two dogs fighting yeah. and you send a female dog in between, they stop fighting. Mm. Mm. And it works. It works for humans. Yeah, no, no, there's, the uh, there's no doubt. Uh, you mentioned Rikers. Uh, when you're assigned to a dormitory, so let's say there are 40 guys in a dormitory. I've been assigned to dormitories. Uh, they will put a female correctional officer in the dorm. Remember, the correctional really? officers have no weapons because if they had weapons, uh, the inmates could easily take the weapons from them. Uh, and all they have is a body alarm. The guys give the women far less grief than they do the men. Like if if you had a male correctional officer assigned to the dorm and he was in the dorm, some of these guys mm-hmm. would probably be challenging them, you know, the machismo. But they generally uh, short African-American women correctional officers, and it has a mm-hmm. calming effect on everybody in that dorm. It really is. Yeah. The difference is like... Night and day. Then maybe they have to have a male there because, you know, there are different shifts. And then all of a sudden the guys are becoming rambunctious. Oh, yeah. yeah because it's, it's all that male. You know, it's that male testosterone, that male energy that, you know, it's tribal. And then the woman comes in. She's a sign. Uh, she's calmer. She has a, a better demeanor in terms of dealing with them. some of these guys. You know, they... They can't speak properly. They're dropping the F-bomb. But somehow, when the female correctional officer is there, they act differently uh, while she's there as opposed to when a man is there. And I'll give you an example. My father, uh, merchant seaman, 54 years, was in Maimonides Hospital. And I told uh, the uh, head nurse on the floor, Please, at night, do not have any male nurses come in there because they, they were developing a lot of Russian and Ukrainian uh, nurses, both women and men. And on one mm-hmm. night, I guess they forgot, they sent two uh, Russian uh, male nurses in to check up on my dad. He knocked both of them out, and they ended up <laughs> putting him in the psych ward right next to it. It took me uh, like two weeks. Uh, he had to work his way out of there because you become a ward of the state. And it was simply because when they came into his room, it became a contest of wills. It was like you could feel the testosterone. When the female nurses came in, the Caribbean nurses or the pan, the uh, Filipino nurses, no problem at all. None whatsoever. No resistance from my pops. Yeah, well, uh, men have an outward uh, sex organ, and ma- women have an inward one. And I think men are more vulnerable because of that, and that's why they're so competitive. You know. No, there's, there's no yeah. doubt. Now, uh, out of the many places that you taught, what was the most fulfilling uh, for you? Oh, I, I, I had a. Uh, I'm from Missouri, and you were talking about teachers, and my drama teacher was, uh, he actually became the dean of uh, faculty at Southwest Missouri State University with uh, Kathleen Turner and John Goodman graduated from there, and uh, he was wonderful. We all we all called him Daddy Gilmore. His mm. name was Bob Gilmore, and, uh, but uh, uh, he... Um, 
my parents were really into theater. They did amateur theater as I was growing up, and that's where I got the bug about theater. And that's why I'm in New York now, you know. Uh, I uh, I actually was working uh, in a theater in St. Louis with Carol O'Connor before he became Archie Bunker. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, which part of St. Louis? Uh, I'm from Webster Groves. Hmm, hmm. There's a famous documentary on Webster Groves called 16 in Webster Groves. And then Webster Groves got up in arms about it. So they did Webster Groves revisited it with Charles Corral. And uh, so it's it's well known for that, you know, but uh, it's a very it was a bedroom community. They would didn't allow factories. And so. Coming to New York was like a real culture shock for me. Well, I got to tell you, being being in St. Louis was a real culture shock for me the first time because when I went to look at the Mississippi, here it is, you know, I'm reading Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, uh, the mighty Mississippi, and then I see this river that was like muddy, ugly, and it was in the winter. This is before global warming, climate change, so there was a lot of snow. I was staying in... uh, North St. Louis, uh, the Vaughn Public Housing Projects, it were rough with a capital R. Uh, but I was also visiting uh, out in Ladue, which was very wealthy, very upscale. What a juxtaposition between being in the projects of uh, North St. Louis, the Vaughn Housing Projects, and then being out in Ladue, uh, and then crossing the river on the uh, Stan Musial Bridge, to East St. Louis, and let me tell you something, East St. Louis was like out of the twilight zone. Out of the twilight zone. Yeah. They, man, I went to Southern they, Illinois University. So yeah, they had, they had no manhole covers. Like, you'd go to sleep at night, and guys would come out and steal the manhole covers for the cast iron. You know, they would bring it to the scrapyards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The traffic lights oh, in East St. Louis were not working. I mean, I thought it was in the twilight zone and very violent. Very violent. Yeah. Yeah, the seat of the mafia there. Mm. Yeah, but no, that uh, that was quite the experience because truly that is the heartland of America. That uh, that and then being in Springfield, which is like a, a world uh, unto itself. Yeah. <laughs> The heartland yeah. of America. Yeah, Springfield is where I, I went to school on my undergrad. And I did speech therapy, and then I got my master's in theater performance at uh, Southern Illinois University. And I went on an NDSL loan because my, my husband was a clown. And uh, surprisingly, it was a wonderful surprise, but I got pregnant. And uh, after we got married, we got married on stage after a show in Newton, Iowa, uh, where we were leading man and leading lady, and uh, then we came to New York. And now you said you, you said he was a clown. Yeah. What he, what what attracted was, uh, him? The, what attracted him? He was on the on uh, the front of the the, uh, the New York Times uh, because he campaigned for um, for uh, oh, oh no no I'm kidding uh, Lindsay. John Lindsay. Oh, John Lindsay, a oh, man who was like GQ, you know, he was destined to be president, at least he thought so. Yeah, well, well, Larry, he went out in the streets with Lionel Hampton, Broadway in the streets. 
and uh, he he changed his name to Joy the Clown, and I said, "Go for it," you know. And uh, he he was he's very talented, but uh, he ended up uh, working for a company we work for in the South, his Southeast School Assemblies, and worked at schools. Mm. And uh, mm. and uh, um, after the after I got pregnant, I did. I was just so scared and lost, and and I needed a cauterization. I didn't know because I got, I I gave birth during a subway strike. <laughs> oh, I remember that well. Uh, a guy named Quill, with a heavy Irish brogue, who had actually been a city councilman in the Bronx. This is when they had citywide city councilmen and then elected city councilmen from different districts. So he was one of the citywide councilmen. He was a communist, and he was the city councilman from the Bronx. Uh, Michael Quill became the head of the TWU Local 100, went out on strike when Lindsay was just elected mayor and crippled the mayor right out of the box. The mayor never recovered after that. Uh, Michael Quill actually went, uh, went to yeah. jail, had all kinds of heart issues, eventually died. But uh, he actually defied Mayor Lindsay and won that battle. Oh, my gosh. And the guy had a brogue. You couldn't even understand him. <laughs> he said, could you repeat that? He could not understand the guy, but beloved by his men and women who worked for the uh, for the subways and the buses, the TWU uh, Local 100. Beloved by them. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, no, you've taken us... Uh, You've taken us on the time machine here, Anne, from uh, the heartland of America, Missouri, uh, right here to the city of New York. I appreciate that, Anne. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Where's the pink pig flying high in the sky? We don't need no control. How many times did you run home after school and put on that Pink Floyd album? Play it over and over and over. Sometimes under the influence of magic mushrooms, psilocybin. Mispronouncing that, that's for sure. Uh, we are going to uh, introduce the uh, Mama Luke, Frank Morano, to uh, psychedelic drugs, mushrooms, to break him of his addiction to alcohol. We're going to do an intervention, uh, Broadway Billy. I know, Avery, you're a little jaundiced about that because of the way Frank Morano and his Mick Whitey-Whitey uh, crew members have treated you. Matt Blaze, a man who clearly is a fugitive from law, with a name like that, how many aliases does he have? And obviously that brown-nosed producer, Alex, who's got his schnoz right up Frank Morano's tuchus. It is possible to control small stands of nutsedge by persistent pulling. This nutsedge grows so quickly. It's very 
very frustrated. Do you have any additional tips on the uh, handling the nuts edge situation? Because we could use all the help that we can get there. Well, apparently magic mushroom psychedelics help heavy drinkers quit. We're going to have to force this on Frank because, man, he's like six martinis to the wind by 12 noon. And that's with the olives in it. You should see him when he has the dry martini without the olives in it. Oh, I don't know, my boy, we got a lot of heavy lifting to do, a lot of heavy lifting. Let's go to Valerie, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Valerie. Hey, Curtis. Thank you for talking about teachers. I was a certified substitute teacher in Patterson, New Jersey, and uh, it was an experience I'll never forget, but it was also a very sad experience. What was the uh, school you were assigned to, Valerie? I don't remember. Um, I know the neighborhoods. Um, I like around the uh, JFK, the John F. Kennedy High School area. Oh, yeah, that's the big high school. And you have East Patterson, yeah. Yeah, I was um, certified K through 12. High school wasn't as bad as um, middle school. Middle school was so bad that um, I used to have to sneak breakfast food into the kids, into my classroom in the morning. They were starving. They were hungry. Wow. Uh, This was before the free breakfast program. There was a, I think there was a free lunch, but there wasn't, this was in the early 90s before free breakfast. So I would sneak in uh, muffins. I didn't have a lot of money. Certified subs back then were uh, paid terrible wages. We got like $60 a day. We had to wait uh, by our phone at 6 o'clock in the morning. For a phone call, and I had a lady that used to call me. She used to put me top on the list because she knew I really loved the kids and she knew I needed the money. Um, I had a I had a situation where I had to go to a boy's house and find out what was going on because I just couldn't I couldn't bear his situation in my classroom anymore. I was very sad, and I saw you know I saw things at his house that you know, will stay with me to this day. But I I made a difference. I made a difference in his life. I made a difference in the other kids' lives. And I I didn't have any money. I was a single parent. Um, A lot of my kids were wearing the same clothing every day. Some kids, their clothes weren't washed for weeks. And so my son went to a private school. I used to uh, carpool or take him myself. He went to a private uh, Christian school in Hawthorne. And so I did um, a little fun fundraiser, like a, a, a clothing drive. Yes. I didn't ask for money. I just asked for gently used clothes. Mm. And I, I called it, I made a little ministry called A Friend of the Children. And those people just made me cry. They gave me garbage bags and garbage bags of beautiful, gently used clothing. And then from there, I would have to send home handwritten notes to all the parents because this was before computers, and I'd have to get permission from the parents to be able to give the children clothes because you don't want to offend. Right. And every parent was just so thankful. And I used to bring in, get the sizes and bring the clothes in, 
and I bonded with these kids. And there's a few of them I'd really love to find out where they are. Now, now question, Valerie. You you were a substitute, correct? Yes, sir. And it was uh, I was not respected along with the other substitutes. Uh, the New Jersey Teachers Union is very, very powerful. And, uh, you know, you weren't treated properly by the other teachers. The, pr- the principals loved you. Um, the kids loved you, but the other teachers, you were, you were not, you were not well respected. Yeah, no, no, I've uh, certainly seen that. Uh, question though, would you be assigned to different classes on different days when they would need you? Um, yes. Like I would ask, I, I, I needed the money. I was a single parent and, um, this, you know, this factors with my ex-husband where I wasn't getting the proper support. So, um, I asked for any assignment they would give me, and especially what they call long-term assignments. So I would um, do like a month or month month at a time sometimes for teachers that were out on quote unquote back injuries. Sure. And uh, that that was a blessing to me, and it was a blessing to the kids too because I cleaned up the classrooms that were not you know that were neglected. You see, these kids were not respected by the teachers because of the bad kids in the school. Sure. They weren't respected. They weren't respected. So all the kids had to suffer for some of the bad kids. And like I said, the teachers were very highly paid, and they saw the, they saw the decrease, you know, with the parent involvement over the years. But they didn't stick with it, or they didn't, or they just didn't quit and let, you know, other people in. Um, some of the schools, the middle schools that I taught in, um, in the JFK area and the other, the Falls area, the Stony Road area, I used to live in Patterson. I lived um, in the, the what they call the Stony Road area, uh, not far from um, the Route 80, yes. where you you border West Patterson, which is now called Wooden Park. So I lived in the neighborhood. They knew me, and we even had security guards in the schools. And one security guard, he was wonderful. He would, I, I, one, this one boy that I had to, you know, take care of when my son was visiting his dad, I'd go and I'd pick him up. And me and the security guard, we'd go and we'd pick him up and we'd take him for a cheeseburger. You know, they had the, the falls, the great falls over there. Oh, magnificent. They They're great, magnificent. Yeah. Magnificent is right. And, um, we, there was some great little mom-and-pop-like diners over there, and me and this one security guard, he was a total gentleman. He was young. He was living with his mom. He was black. I was white. I'd go into the bad neighborhood, and I'd pick him up, and I'd say, come on, Billy, we're going to, you know, go and have um, a cheeseburger with, you know, security guard uh, so-and-so, and he loved it because he was the oldest of, like, seven children. He was a mixed-race boy. And he was not loved by his parents. Mm. And um, he was, I don't know how, I don't know how extensive the abuse was, but I, you know, it really helped him. Uh, it helped him with his self-esteem because when I became his long-term substitute teacher, when he was like in the fifth or sixth grade, nobody in the classroom liked him, Curtis. Mm. Curtis, he smelled really bad. He didn't have a toothbrush. 
he he was starving. He was always arguing with people. And I found out all about this because I took him outside the door. Remember when the teachers used to take you outside the door? Oh, yeah, that happened to me a few times. Yeah, I took him outside the classroom. I was like, come on, Billy, we're we're going outside. We're going to talk by the door. And I just said to him, Billy, what the heck is the matter with you? And he looked at me, and he trusted me, Curtis. He said, I'm starving. Mm. I said, I'm coming to your house tonight. Where do you live? Now, now, Curtis, do you remember the Hamilton Hotel? I think that was the name of it. Everything was named Hamilton. Everything was yeah. named after Alexander Hamilton in Patterson. It was a druggy. It was a druggy welfare hotel. Yes, it was. It was a druggy welfare hotel, and so I, I was smart enough not to go there by myself. I took. I went to the security guard, and he and I had a great relationship. And I said to him, I told him the situation, and you know, he just loved the fact that I took an interest in these kids. Yeah. So I didn't have a lot of money, and I got, like, peanut butter, and I got crackers, and I got bread, and I got a few snack items. I did what I could, and I went with the security guard, and we went to the Hamilton Hotel. All the lights were off. They had lost their power. But I had people guided me. I was like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm Ms. M. Back then, my last name was begin with an M. Mm. And they used to call me Ms. M because they couldn't pronounce my long Italian last name. Mm-hmm. I'm Ms. M, and I'm Billy's teacher, and I'm here to bring some stuff for Billy. I had a few. They saw the bags of food, so they knew everything was on the up and up. And we were treated with the utmost respect, you know, by the druggies and the the, the welfare people that lived there. And, you know, and uh, I had this very large black security guard with me. And back then, they commanded respect. You know, he you know he was the police officer. Not he wasn't a real police officer. He was just like the school security guard. Sure. So we went up to the room, Curtis, and I'm walking around the room and I'm talking to everybody and I, I'm saying to these people in this very dim lit room, why why are my feet crunching? And they were like, Ms. M, they just did the the cockroach bomb and there's a lot of dead cockroaches on the floor. I was like, Okay, I've had enough. Mm. I was like, Listen, here's some bags of food. Billy, you're going to come to school tomorrow with a different attitude, right? He was like, yes, Miss M, you changed my life. His mother and father looked at me like, who is this? And then the next day he came to school, and it was it was so different, Curtis. It was just so different. And I, I'm a nobody from nowhere, Curtis. I was just a poor, um, single, you know, early, 30, uh, early 30s um, mom, you know, struggling to make ends meet. And um, working, I, I was I was going to Rutgers to get my degree, and thank God for Rutgers because when you had when you were got so many credits at Rutgers, you were you were allowed to be what they call a certified sub, and that's what that's what you know. And I'll never forget it, Curtis. I'll never never forget it. Well, just uh, just know this, uh, Valerie. You made an incredible impression upon Billy, who was. Uh, Scorned by all, obviously, as you mentioned, his own parents. Uh, the uh, apartment that they were living in in the Hamilton Hotel, which I remember it well, uh, was a horror house. And what you experienced there, people would experience every day of their lives while living there. The cockroaches that were uh, on maneuvers everywhere. I mean, total infestation. People have no idea how bad rodents, 
you sleep in that, you get out of that, you're not going to have a very pleasant uh, attitude about yourself for the rest of the day. But you made a big difference uh, in his life, Billy's life, and so many other young children, Valerie. You have so much to be proud of. You gave so much of yourself. Whereas um, a teacher can have an impact on children like that, that even parents and their brothers and sisters couldn't. So uh, you were definitely doing uh, God's work. There's no other way to describe that. You don't have to be religious to understand that concept. Uh, That teacher was definitely, definitely there for a reason. And Valerie did went well beyond what was expected. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Who let the dogs out? 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 It was nice to party with Pumpkin. And everybody have a International Doggy Day. And there are a lot of stories in the aftermath of what has been described as man's best friend. You have to call it woman's best friend. The um, non-binary's best friend. 72 different uh, sexual descriptions and gender identifications. But let's just say a dog is your friend, okay? And uh, this guy was no friend to dogs. Although he was a stellar athlete, at one time coming out of Virginia Tech, and then later on playing for the Atlanta Falcons, his jersey, his throwback jersey, was the number one seller in all of pro football. Now, was it because of his athletic expertise on the gridiron? Some of that. But it was because of the reputation that he had developed as a dog killer. Michael Vick. And the reason why we talk about Michael Vick today is that in 2007 on this day in history, this um, superstar quarterback pled guilty to running an illegal dog fighting ring. Michael Vick pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to travel in interstate commerce in aid of unlawful activities and to sponsor a dog in an animal fighting venture. He was sentenced to 23 months in federal prison uh, and did his time in Leavenworth. 
And in all the interviews that I've ever heard of Michael Vick before we knew he was uh, teaching uh, dogs to fight, pit bull terriers, uh, bull mastiffs, rottweilers to fight, and then surreptitiously going about. And when he and his homeboys at the Bad News Kennels uh, that he uh, organized, because obviously he was very wealthy from his uh, performance on the gridiron, uh, if they felt that a particular dog would deplete the gene pool, they would savagely torture that dog and then kill that dog, hang him with piano wire, drown that dog, put the dog in a tub full of water, and then put electrodes in and electrocute the dog. I mean, the savagery was beyond anything that I could think uh, a human being would do. Now, obviously, I'm not oblivious. I'm not naive. I know that these things take place, but you're assuming a guy's coming out of Virginia Tech. He's an all-star athlete. He was never really well-spoken. He was a bit shy, Michael Vick, but he just didn't exude uh, that energy that I felt from other animal abusers, particularly those who uh, train dogs to kill, to fight, or to train uh, roosters to fight and kill. And uh, those horrible, horrible situations. Uh, I've seen cockfights and what they do... uh, what they do to these birds and how they shred one another in a ring for money. And then again, if there's the perception, if they have depleted the gene pool, they are savagely killed in the worst way. It's almost like Clockwork Orange. The owners, the handlers, the sickle fans, toadies and lackeys, the guys on the periphery of the barbaric uh, sport, as they call it just seem to get a vicarious thrill out of torturing these animals, uh, whether they're cockfighting uh, or whether it's uh, dogfighting. And I bring this up because uh, once he did his time in Leavenworth and he was given an opportunity to come back into the NFL, which he did, played for the Philadelphia Eagles fairly well, I might add, uh, was a nemesis uh, to the New York Giants. Uh, that's my team. Played also for the Jets briefly, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then retired. And then actually was a broadcaster. But never got the uh, feeling that Michael Vick ever, ever fully apologized for what he did. Always felt in the back of his mind, he didn't think that dogfighting should be unlawful at the property he owned uh, in uh, rural southeastern Virginia with uh, extensive facilities that he set up to train these dogs to mangle and to kill in order to be able to win money. But the details of the abuse, the torture, the execution of underperforming dogs certainly galvanized a lot of animal rights activists. But so many years later, the name is synonymous with animal torture, dog torture. And I thought it was appropriate to uh, speak uh, and bring this up today. After coming from the rally at about 7 o'clock this past night uh, on Saturday, uh, animal rights activists were gathered up outside of the Plaza Hotel. My wife Nancy was there, friends of ours who helped us in the campaign, Rob Becerra, 
Grace Navarro, uh, Councilman Bob Holden, who is from uh, Middle Village, Glendale, and Maspeth represents that area, his chief of staff, uh, the people of New York class, other animal rights activists, uh, and again, appealing uh, to the fact that the barbaric treatment of horses, horse-drawn carriages, and particularly the horse that you saw the images as that horse was being whipped in the streets as it had passed out, Tyler, on the way to uh, uh, its uh, area where it was being housed. And if you haven't seen it yet, you have to really check the New York Post. There's a brand-new video of the stalls, the uh, housing facilities for the um, the horses in the horse-drawn carriage industry. And, my God, it really horrible. So what that horse rider went through may well have benefits for horses in the future because they may no longer have to be utilized to uh, drag those carriages around Central Park uh, and be replaced by electric cars. The drivers would still have gainful employment, still be members of the TWU Local 100 that is so resistant to this change that has occurred in so many other cities. But, boy, that rider horse um, really became synonymous to uh, the impossible working conditions that a lot of those horses are subjected to. Hopefully that will definitely have an impact uh, very proud of the many people who came out and expressed solidarity with a variety of uh, animal lovers and animal rights activists uh, to stop this barbaric uh, treatment. And then also because it was International uh, Doggy Day on Friday, some people had brought their dogs along. And I got into a very spirited conversation of how our shelter system uh, that we fund, we subsidize, we pay for with our tax dollars, uh, it's still not a no-kill shelter. Los Angeles has no-kill shelters. Austin, Texas, no-kill shelters. They don't kill dogs. They don't kill cats. They don't kill other animals unless they have to euthanize them because uh, the animal is too far gone or is suffering. Here in New York City, we euthanize hundreds and hundreds of animals where if time were given, uh, they could be placed in a home of their own. But no, it's an assembly line. 72 hours. Oh, uh, they were given up uh, to the shelter. They were surrendered. We can't find somebody who will foster them or adopt them. That's it. Destroy them. Kill them. Euthanize them. That's got to stop. It really has to stop. And uh, uh, in today's New York Post, uh, you can actually see it out. A group is forming a guardian angel-style patrol to protect pets after a series of Prospect Park attacks on dogs and the dog owners by some emotionally disturbed persons who live in Prospect Park. Again, the mayor's office has chosen to ignore the pleas of the residents, as have uh, the local elected officials. The police are doing absolutely jackedly squat nothing about these attacks. And so the people there have had enough. Now, as you know, in uh, Park Slope, many of these people are very liberal, very progressive. I don't necessarily share their politics. But they have decided to scrape the barnacles off their backside, get their rearing gear. And as of September 10th, they're going to be patrolling Prospect Park to make sure these attacks are no longer taking place. 
to make sure that abuse against animals is no longer taking place. Let's go to the phones. It's um, Walter calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Walter. Hi, Curtis. Okay, I grew up in the South Bronx, Port Apache. I'm going to tell you the difference, and I'm six, 70 years old. I'm going to tell you the difference, and I, I became a teacher, too. But I'm going to tell you the difference between those days as a middle school student and me as a teacher, as a middle school teacher. And the South Bronx, uh, JHS 98, I don't know if you know that that, that school, we went, the teachers went on strike because the students were throwing them down the stairs and everything like that. It was in the newspapers called Blackboard Jungle. Wow. Well, the difference, the difference between the, the students those days and the students these days is the parenting and the curriculum. And uh, in those days, if you did something wrong, they took out the ruler and slapped you on the hand. I have three um, yearbooks here, 66, 67, 68, where students, we were predominantly Hispanic and black students. It changed from Jewish to from Irish to, you know, how the blacks changed back yes. in the yes. 50s and 60s. And the, we all had to wear shirts and ties. And assembly was a red tie and a white shirt. And, you know, everything was so different. You see the pictures I have where they took of the students in the classroom. They were all well-dressed. And the curriculum, well, we were able to read A Catcher in the Rye, Down These Mean Streets, you know, the books that had some provocative language in it. It was different. When I became a teacher, it was uh, very, very different because the students, uh, parents were ready to sue if you did any kind of corporal punishment. Etc. Uh, and I taught in a bad school, middle schools. I taught in Williamsburg, uh, JH, uh, JHS 50, John D. Wells High School. When at that time, it was predominantly a, a Dominican neighborhood. Now it's a yuppie puppy uh, gentrification all, all over there. And then I taught in Florida, in a little Haiti and middle school. And John, John F. Kennedy and the kids, you know, I got along well with them because I graduated from John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and I was in the Navy, and I grew up in the South Bronx, and I knew the lingo. And like you, I had my experiences with the with the bad sides, my you know little crime here and there. But they got along with me because I knew I knew the ropes, and I knew how to treat them. I I made it like you said, I have vitality, et cetera, et cetera. But the main problem now is the parenting, and and as far as the parenting goes, with all this crime going on, it's it's you know you, you have the Black Lives Matter movement, but most of those parents they have their kids doing all the crime. I mean, come on, man, let's face it. My solution for this is what the British did: exile. I think what we should do is to take the parents and the and the children that after three or four strikes, send them to to Area 52. You know, you got Roswell, New Mexico, Area 51. You had the FDR do the, the internment of the Japanese. Well, you know, send them out there. Give them supplies. Maybe give them education. Or make a, give them a community community centers. And if they don't go, the parents don't go to the community centers for for uh, for instructions. And if kids don't go, well, send them to Area 52. And I got one more thing to ask. Well, now, uh, one question, Walter. What was it that motivated you to become a teacher? I don't know. My brother, actually, he was a teacher, and I was I was a taxi and limousine inspector for the city of New York. And I think there was a girl there that said she was your cousin. I don't know if you had a cousin, a blonde-haired girl. 
that was your cousin when I was working for the Taxi and Limousine Commission back in the 80s. Yep, yep, 80s. she was. Okay, I think her name began with an S. As a matter of fact, I made the newspapers because I toasted Mayor Koch on September 16, 1988. We had a meeting for uh, the citywide inspe- uh, inspectors in Brooklyn High School. And I got up online on the question and answer session, and I asked him three questions, and I was in the newspapers the next day. Inspector Walter Cologne, and how I embarrassed him. Veins were popping out of his neck. If you look up the Daily News, uh, September 17, 1988, you'll you read it, and that helped him not win the election. But I didn't like Mayor Koch too much because he was a uh-uh. Or like nowadays you have ummers, people that use that say, well, I went to the zoo, and um, in the zoo I saw some animals, um, or these people have used the word like too much, because I taught language arts to, to these kids in school and everything like that. Uh, yeah, now, so Walter, uh, what was what was it like parent-teacher's night? Yeah, so, you know, depending, so a lot of parents are a very few parents came, let me tell you that. You know, these, uh, these predominantly um, bad schools. Middle school. I saw that like middle school. I didn't like elementary school. They had too much energy. He pulled my hair. She broke my pencil. <laughs> but the parents were coming. Some of them were good. But there, there, there were some parents there that looking to sue. You do anything wrong, they're going to sue. Their kids are always right. Even when I taught in a private school in Florida, uh, my kids got to get an A by the Zoom. But I think kids a bad boy or a bad girl. I'm not going to give them an A. You know, and I I did really good teaching. I saved about a thousand lives. I saved, and I taught hygiene and John D. Wells in Williamsburg back in eight, in the eighties. And uh, at that time, you were able to teach a little bit of sex education, no problem. And, t- I, t- and I had mostly Spanish kids or bilingual kids that didn't even know English, and it was a very very, very different situation back then. Nowadays, everybody wants to sue everybody. It's like you know. Hey, you touch my kid, I'm going to sue you. That's true. <laughs> I mean, we used to get we used to get hit with the ruler on the hand in gym if we did something wrong, you know. That is uh, that's so true. And uh, imagine you're a, a child. It's a parent teachers conference night, and I saw this in Patterson because we were actually escorting some of the parents and their kids to school because there was some uh, gang uh, battles going on. So we escorted them to East Patterson High School, JFK High School, which is the big high school there. Uh, And I saw so many of the kids who were so depressed because nobody would show up for them. No older brother, no older sister. Uh, Dad uh, certainly wasn't around. Uh, The mother uh, wouldn't show up. Uh, The apathy and the indifference was so overwhelming that you could see that child felt like uh, they had been completely abandoned, like nobody would be there for them to talk to the teacher to see how they were doing. Yeah, you know, I used to make phone calls to the parents, and it would be, I make, I told my, my students, they say, listen, I make a good phone call, and I make a bad phone call. And I used to make good phone calls. Oh, your, your child is doing good, and write a good letter. Or I make a bad phone calls. But, you know, the parents, they really didn't care, man. They're so busy, and a lot of them, a lot of them not, not as bad as now, where you see on Murray, on Murray Publish, who's your daddy? I mean, come on, man. Some, some, they were single parents, but it was hard on the kids, man. Like you said, they, they didn't have anybody show up. I had a little girl in middle school back in, in Williamsburg, 
boy, she was a good girl, but she was in, she was failing one class, and that was going to stop her from graduating to into high school. And I went and I talked to that one teacher, and you know we worked together these teachers, some of them, and they were nice. And he said, "Okay, listen, for you, Mr. Cologne, I'll pass that girl." And she got, and she was so happy, and the parents were so happy. You gotta try and help these kids because the parents don't know. And I used to have to go to the parents' houses, the students' houses, to get the books back. Hey, man, you know, I gave you a book with the beginning of the, of the semester. Where's the book? Oh, blah, blah, blah. You get me to, I'm going to go to your house and get the book. And I used to go to your house and get the book because they didn't really care. The parents didn't force it. I mean, I even, the, the one that talked about uh, supplying the kids with food, sure, man, you have you take out of your pocket. You work late. There was one person that was on the on the radio program, not your program, but one that, that, that called up and said, oh, the teachers, they don't do anything, give this and that. They don't. Man, we worked after school, after 3 o'clock. We're working still 6, 7, 8 at night, man, doing te- checking papers. I don't know. It's so much different. The, the real problem now is the parenting. That's my, that's my real B-I, B- you know, biatch. <laughs> Anyway, look that up, September 17th, the newspapers. You'll see uh, how I toasted me a cotch. And uh, then I got fired. Then I sued, and we settled out of court. Okay? (laughs) Well, I appreciate those experiences, Walter. A lot of teachers tonight sharing with us their experiences. Uh, As we uh, take you to the break of dawn, let's go to Larry in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Good evening, Curtis. I uh, had one, one, two quick statements to make. Uh, I had my brother-in-law. He was a teacher at Spofford. And he used to come over and tell me how he got to the day. He started the day, he bought a pack of Juicy Fruit, a pack of Marlboro, and the Inquirer magazine. He read that to the class, and that's how he got through it. Wow. It said that he's a, no, it's true. It's true. And he took me one time uh, down to – this is going back 34 years, Curtis. But he took me one time down there, you know, just to see how things went. It was the winter. So I was wearing a nice shielding coat. And every door you had to go through, somebody had to lock and unlock and lock and unlock. So I sat in this class just to let him give his lesson. And had one guy said to me, you're not walking out with that coat. Excuse me? They wanted my shielding coat. <laughs> anyway, that worked out. But I have just one more comment because you've been great. I don't know if you ever heard. I don't believe in this, but I had friends in the PD many years ago because I had a restaurant, and this was one cop. Oh, he had gotten shot in the shoulder, and they were chasing after these guys. They caught one. They didn't catch the other. So I said, uh, Benny, I said, what happened? He goes, well, I'm not going. I'm, Curtis, I'm not going to go into the detail of what they did, but he did say to me, "I said, what about his rights?" He, he says, "You have the right to remain silent as long as you can take the pain." <laughs> well, that that's true. Pain compliance definitely uh, elicited from uh, a lot of these knuckleheads cooperation. Uh, people don't understand that. They think that. You can treat them uh, with um, some kind of understanding uh, at an intellectual level. You can't because 
uh, they refuse uh, to expose themselves uh, intellectually to those kind of feelings. They want to be thoracic. They want to be physical. They want to uh, uh, bully. And unfortunately, at that point, particularly if they're too far gone in that direction, the only thing they're going to understand is not the language of discussion, but of pain compliance. Because, unfortunately, that's the law of the streets. That's what gets you respect. That's what gets you the attention. Is your physicality, uh, as opposed to your ability to discuss, persuade, uh, uh, sort of uh, distract, uh, cause uh, young men, young women to look at things differently. Uh, That takes... um, That takes a period of time before that sinks in. But most importantly, immediately, I found that a lot of those younger people are triggered off by the fact that pain compliance will get their attention. And then it's a question if you can uh, sort of structure a lifestyle for them in which they'll be contributors instead of takers. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Hello, I'm Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. People yakety-yak the streak and waste your time a day. But Mr. Ed will never speak unless he has something to say. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and this one will talk to his voice, his horse. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this. I am Mr. Ed. Remember, we had a call yesterday, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, on loan from WCBS-FM, an iconic uh, voice there for so many years, and Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, and uh, nighttime producer, Dean, who we hadn't heard of from a month of Sundays, hadn't heard uh, from him since the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes, the Triple Crown. He had predicted uh, who would win the Travers uh, earlier on Saturday. And if memory serves me well, I believe it was uh, his prediction, Epicenter, who uh, won the Travers, which he uh, referred to as the Summer Kentucky Derby, Churchill Downs. Uh, and I think it was Cyberknife who finished second. Not quite sure of that. So if uh, Dean is out there, uh, he's probably celebrating. Uh, I wonder... Where Rich Strike, the hillbilly horse, finished. <laughs> he had predicted that Rich Strike would finish fourth, if I remember. Am I correct on that, Avery? Our telephone talent coordinator, Dean from New Jersey, I think had predicted that Rich Strike would finish fourth in the Travers. And I think early voting, I forget, he. I don't think he mentioned early voting. But... That's pretty interesting. If Dean happens to be out there, the thrill of victory as opposed to the agony of defeat, he's probably uh, bending his elbow and enjoying himself from his winnings. 
He said he doesn't bet the uh, exotic boxes. Uh, but Epicenter was the winner. And I believe he was spot on uh, in uh, predicting that the hillbilly horse who came out of nowhere in the Kentucky Derby last minute uh, entry because of a scratch who won that unprecedented plowing fields in Ohio a month before wins the Kentucky Derby. They don't have him run in the Preakness, so there would be no triple crown. Then runs uh, in the Belmont Stakes and fades uh, in the end. But uh, hey, there he is, Rich Strike biting the uh, the colt who is trying to escort him to the winner's circle. I guess he figured it's like pinching himself, biting himself. He couldn't believe he won. Hey, hey! Careful there, Rich Strike. What a moment for Rich Strike. When the trainer, Eric Reed, from Versailles, Kentucky, 57 years old, found out that Ethereal Road was scratched yesterday, his quote was, as you see the horse Mike, acting Mike, up a little bit He's trying to here. savage yep. the pony. Yeah. <laughs> as if he hasn't done enough already beating 19 other horses. He's, he's trying to beat up on the pony. <laughs> he was. Oh, well, that was a real hillbilly horse. A finish fourth in the Travers. That's exactly what Dean predicted. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Christine, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Christine. Yes, hello. Yes, Christine. Yeah. I was thinking about something else, but I will ask you. Your fifth grade teacher gave you something. My knowledge. That's true. Oh God! What's that sound? That's uh, that's uh, the uh, all-powerful uh, Broadway Bill Lee, who is coming in with his sound effects. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jeez Louise, you brought me back to my fifth grade, my teacher. Oh my God. Tough as hell. Jeez Louise. Hey. Where where me, where was the school? Okay. You gonna say hey from my accent. I'm from Staten Island. <laughs> PS eight, Staten Island, Great Kills, Mr. Scala, and he was tough on me. You're not replying. Mr. Fiala, that, that name, Mr. I, Fiala, uh, is his son? Fiala. Oh, oh, okay. All right, well, he was tough on me. Everybody made fun of me. Oh, my God. Why Why did, did they Why did they, Why did they? make fun of you? Oh, because I get the meanest teacher. Because hmm. when you, I didn't go to Catholic schools like you did. It went to the public schools, and my friends told me, Charlene and Darlene, and God Almighty, I'm not making this up. Charlene and Darlene said, "Oh my God, you got Mr. Scala. You are," and they left me. I said, "Well, maybe I could do it," and I said 
my heart. I know. I thought in my head, my soul, hey, maybe it's going to be tough, but it's going to be good. It was tough, but hey, somebody taught me something. Hey, I have to go from like grammar school to like, you know, like, you know. What would you, what would you say was the most important thing he taught you? Oh, he taught me don't chisel. <laughs> I mean, it sounds creepy. I'm bad in math. I hate math. I couldn't do math. And when I came back the next day, with the math I was supposed to do at home, he said you're chiseling on the side of the paper. I said, but Mister Scala, I don't know math. I don't have extra pieces of paper at home. He said, Chris, you're not good in math. But I said, I'm good in something else, aren't I? He said, you're a thinker. (laughs) Curtis, don't you think about that? So he bonded with you. Yes, exactly. And that's something that's oftentimes difficult because... There always seems to be that uh, a force field between the teacher and the uh, child, and if they if they never get beyond that, it becomes very difficult to then learn. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. He told me, but hey, he took splinters out of my fingers. Splinters out of your fingers. Splinters. Hmm. But I was doing yard work, and I didn't want I, I didn't know splinters were there. But he used to go, hey, 30 kids, the, the boys always bothered me. Hey, but it's okay. Hey. Well, well I got I to gotta tell you, I, I got to tell you, boy, you have taken us on that time machine. You've taken us back. So many people have this morning. A reminisce, as I thought initially when I started the segment hours before, that there would be certain teachers, even 40, 50, 60 years later, you will never forget. You could remember it like it was yesterday in terms of their lessons, their lesson plan, the role model effect they had, the mentorship they provided. And yet there are other teachers you had that weren't necessarily bad. But you can't remember a thing that they taught you in the classroom, and you were there like all year. Let's go to Jim in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Hi, Curtis. Uh, I want to say two things real quick. Number one, about uh, being paddled in school. I, I, I'm back in Brooklyn where I was born, but I grew up in, in Orlando uh, way back in the 60s. And uh, in around 1962, when I was in junior high school. And by the way, that junior high school was called Robert E. Lee Junior High School, but I found out. They just changed the name to uh, College Park Middle School because of all this political correctness stuff. But anyhow, I, I was after phys ed class in the locker room. I was in, we had a line for, for the orange juice machine, like these half pints of Tropicana orange juice for ten cents. And uh, a guy cut in front of me and knocked my dime out of my hand, and we got into like a little fight. And they brought us into the principal's office, and he took out this looks like a big ping pong paddle with holes in it to make it more effective. And uh, for some reason, I got out of it. He paddled the other guy. <laughs> wow. But, you escaped. You escaped. Yeah, I got out of it, yeah. But I wanted to mention one other thing. You were talking about, about Vic with the dogs. 
and I want to remind people of something much more serious. I forgot the athlete's name. I forgot the sport, but there was an athlete a number of years ago around that same time that he, he, he had a driver that he shot him and killed him point blank. He said the gun, he thought the gun wasn't, remember that case? He oh yeah. The gun wasn't, oh yeah. Well, In fact, that, that, that would be worth a Curtis Lee booby prize. He had a split personality. When you would meet him personally, you would say, oh, my God, this guy is so jovial, so well-spoken, graduate of St. John's University, went on to play in the NBA, had this huge house uh, in uh, mansion in New Jersey. New Jersey, uh, yeah. Yeah, and he ended up uh, shooting his uh, chauffeur, uh, and at times he would just wig out. He would invite over ball players that he knew he was friendly with. And then when he would drink, oh, he would become a completely different person. That's why this is the perfect lead-in, Jim. In the uh, 4 o'clock hour, we are going to do an intervention on Frank the Mamaluka Murano, who's drinking too much. We, we, uh-huh. we've, we've come to the conclusion, both uh, Broadway Billy, who's experienced in this field, because a lot of times when you work in radio, it drives you to drink. Uh, yeah. Avery, who is our telephone uh, talent coordinator, uh, he has seen this uh, in Frank because sometimes uh, we have him on loan to the Frank Morano show, and he screens the calls. That the guy, the guy drinks like six martinis, dry martinis a day before noon. He, he's like stiff to the wind. I thought, yeah, but just from listening, I had two glasses of wine just now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have to try this on you. It's... Uh, you've made your case against speed, LSD, heroin, and those ghastly-looking pills. But I maintain the evidence against marijuana isn't in yet. Well, sir, will you concede that it might be as harmful as alcohol? Well, all right, but it's no worse. No, sir, I hope not. Because according to U.S. government figures, between 5 and 6 million people in this country are physically and mentally sick as a result of their use of alcohol. The National Safety Council estimates that on the highways, liquor-caused property damage amounts to over $4 billion annually. As long ago as 1965, a year that incidentally was carefully researched, 29,400 Americans died on the highways in alcohol-related accidents. Now, I think it's safe to assume that figure is even larger today. Now, let me ask you, if marijuana possesses only half the potential of alcohol for violence, criminality, accidents, and social degradation... Do we need pot? We have to do an we have to do an intervention for Frank. We're going to be giving him magic mushrooms, psychedelic uh, magic mushrooms. Hey, Curtis, can I hear something about this legalized pot in New York? Sure. Okay, so so I will tell you that I actually I got one of these uh, THC full 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 powered vaping pens. Yes, and. I, I I never took uh, opioids on purpose before, but one one time I had it by accident about 30 years ago because somebody slipped into something. Now, I want to say something. I got a vaping pen from one of these uh, places that jumped up early. Yeah, these places they started opening up early before they were legalized. Yeah, pop-up. They call them a pop-up store. Yeah, I got one, and I can tell you without any hesitation or reservation. And, and by the way, I, I contacted the New York State Cannabis Commission about this also. That, that this stuff is called live resin, but I know without any hesitation that it contains opioids in it. And uh, because I have the I have the regular stuff, you know, the flower stuff, the the regular old fashioned. And I, I I tried one against the other after I got suspicious, 
And there's no question that, that, that this particular brand of vaping pen has opioids in it. And it's not a question to me. I told that to the Cannabis Commission. I gave them the names, and I wanted to test it. So you, uh, you knocked them out to the Cannabis Commission. Well, sort of, yeah, I, yeah, I did, but I, I said they have to test it. They had, I, I said I, I know for myself, but you have to test it yourself. Well, you tested it out, Jim. What, what conclusion well, did you come to? Uh, I told you that there's no question about it, but but I want them to test it, you know, a regular laboratory way. Excellent, Jim. You're on the ball. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Ernie in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ernie. Okay, Curtis. So in fifth grade, we were talking about teachers a little earlier. I think discipline or something. Anyway, the class uh, came together. Everybody came into the fifth grade class, and that's sitting down. You know the BSing with each other, and I was turned around talking to the guy behind me. So he said, okay, let's go. Let's come together. So I guess I was a little bit late coming together with the rest of the class. <laughs> so I turned around, and he smacked me. The whole chair and me went over as one flop on the ground. What did, do you think about that? Did you get hurt? My face was red. Did you deserve it? I didn't deserve, I don't think I deserved to get smacked like that. Or uh, what, would have, what would have been the alternative to you getting smacked? I would have just shut up. Yeah, but you I, know, I, turned, I turned around, and when I turned around, to comply, uh, <laughs> my compliance was met with a smack. It was a pretty good smack. Do you feel it you know, to this day? Do you feel the vibrations to this day? Say that the vibrations. Yeah, you know, you know how you can get hit. I've been hit many, many times in many, many yeah. different situations. Yeah. Certain of them, yeah. I can feel I to this hit. day. Yeah, no, I've been hit so much. I was in, always getting in scrap when I was a kid. Didn't bother me. I didn't even. We, I just picked myself up and we went went together with our class. I just thought it was. Uh, I never saw anything like that in uh, in school. You know. Well, and imagine, imagine if you got hit so hard, Ernie, that your mother would feel the vibrations. Yeah, that wouldn't have been too good. Only thing is, if I went over like that and I hit my head, I could have got hurt. You know, not that I, I just, I just, I never forget that. <laughs> I laugh when I think about it. Well, no, no, that's that's something that for some would be considered very traumatic. For others, it's a learned experience, and you're better off for it. Let's go to Larry and Beth Page. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Yes, hello, Larry. Oh, my God. Avery. Oh, no. Avery! You let Larry go to sleep? How come you weren't yelling at him in the interim? Keeping him awake. Keeping him bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. This is death to talk radio host and hostesses. 
It's bad enough you had Eileen in Queens. They made a promo out of it. Oh, yeah, Chris Libertini. Uh, you know, normally promos last about a month. That promo has been lasting about six months. He does that. If That's right. late on the weekends, this is what WABC sounds like. Eileen from Queens uh, fell asleep on me just uh, 24 hours ago. Do I do this to people? Do I put people to sleep? Embarrassing, humiliating. And you allowed that, Avery. You knew damn well that Larry was sleeping on me, and you left him up there on the board. Maybe uh, Frank criticizing you in the next hour, which he did multiple times, I might add. Maybe you earned that, Avery. We'll have to dissect and bisect that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Nothing like Lennon Skin and Freebird. Ronnie Van Zandt, working that guitar, died at such a young age. Imagine their plane ran out of gas and then they crashed and left, left this plane. Let's go to Diane, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Diane. 
Hi, Curtis. By the way, I voted for you. <laughs> ah, thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So, when I was eight years old, I went to live with my aunt, aunt and uncle in Atlantic City. My mother had died, and, you know, I went different relatives. So, um, after public school, I would walk home. In those days, you could do that. And I would have dinner, and then my aunt would give me 25 cents. I would get on a jitney and go up to uh, Pacific and, God, I forget which, which street it was. But anyway, to the road of Shalom Shul. And there was this, the, the, the synagogue, and you walk through this little, uh, this little uh, alleyway to it, to the back of it, and there would be water and rats and God knows what, and you would go in, and there was a little room in the back of the shul, and in that room was Mr. Steinberg. <laughs> now, my uncle had told me that he had seen his family killed in the Holocaust, but uh, he was very, um, he was very, he, he stood very straight, and he wore a hat, and he had these long sideburns, and he was um, very um, kind of strict in his teaching, but he had a way of making every student feel like they were the most loved person in the world. Every single one. And on Sundays we would come in and we would always get the sour milk and watch, you know, these uh, these little movies. Uh, uh, and... Um, I met somebody. I met somebody years and years later in Washington D.C. who had also gone to Steinberg's class. This gay guy, and he said to me that the the only time he was really happy in his childhood was when he was in Steinberg's class. You know, we learned the whole. Um, Passover Seder by by song. We memorized it. We performed it at Blitzky's Old English Hotel for the first Seder. And the second one we did at home. And it was like such everything about that place. It was just a little room with little this chair desks, nothing fancy but a blackboard, Steinberg and, and us. And it was the best time of our whole childhood. That will stay with you until the ends of time, Diane. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mr. Bernard Steinberg, where, wherever you reside in heaven, I'm sure you are blessed. I mean, he, he just had a way of making every child feel special. No, no, no. And that, was, uh, that's really what's needed to teach because then you galvanize. But just think of all the other teachers you were exposed to at different parts of your young uh, childhood and when you were a young adult. Although they may have been very nice, uh, they weren't necessarily negative or did you any harm, but you can't even remember anything they ever taught you in the classroom. Anyway, let's go to Michael in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Curtis. Um I, I just got to say that I think you're being a little too hard on Avery, you know. I think he might have PTSD from working with Frank Morano all the time. I guess that's a reference yeah. to Avery Brooks being our telephone talent coordinator, which he was for a few days last week. And uh, 
Avery, nice guy, but as a call screener, mediocre at best. Mediocre at best. You're right. You're right, Michael. He's been uh, exposed to that kind of vitriol, that kind of uh, um, really defamation of his character by Frank Morano and his crew. Uh, it's not just limited yeah. to Frank Morano. They, they, they pick up on that and. Uh, we try to do Frank Morano uh, a favor by lending them Avery, our telephone talent coordinator and nighttime producer, and all he does is take shots at him. Shots. Oh, big time! Yeah, he's getting like uh, he's getting beat up by Frank all the time. Well, and the guy, y- you know what that's a nice guy. You, you know just what that's to him on the phone. You know what that's the result of, Michael. He's what, been what? Uh, drinking too much, and that's uh, why yeah. we are going to end up doing an intervention. Into uh, Frank Morano. His own words have basically um, classified him as a lush. Uh, Broadway Billy has done an extensive deep dive into the many statements made about his drinking problem that Frank Morano has made. And we have decided that there is a remedy. He's probably not going to like it. But he's got to start dropping LSD acid and having some magic uh, psychedelic shack mushrooms. It will help him with his heavy drinking. In fact, some have suggested after 12 sessions, he will be alcohol-free. He'll be like uh, the Reverend Billy Sunday, a prohibitionist who said, I need about three days to get up enough moisture in my mouth to spit. We'll get him there. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. They are so stingy with what they give you. They load these drinks up with ice and then put like a eyedropper worth of alcohol in there. So it's very tough to get drunk. I mean, fortunately, I'm a very committed drinker and I can manage it, but it's very difficult. Chris writes... Hey, Frank, bourbon neat or rocks? Uh, excellent question. It is neat 80% of the time. The only ex- exception is if it's um, really warm and I'm outside smoking a cigar, right? So if I go outside and I'll smoke a cigar, then and it's really warm, like it has been over the course of the summer, then I will go... Rocks, but usually it's neat. 90 percent of the time, it's neat. Six martinis is a lot. That's the that's the most that I've ever had in one sitting, and and it always ends in disaster. Whenever you have six martinis, it's lights out. I mean, th- th- something's going seriously wrong there. If I've had six martinis, there's going to be some story that is not necessarily going to p- portray me in a positive light. If I've had six martinis. I've done that maybe five times in my life. Each time, total disaster. Total disaster. What, one of the things that I wanted to try and do on the airplane was sleep. So I made sure to get there early enough that I could get there and have a few cocktails. 
because it's a lot easier, at least in my book, to fall asleep if you're a little buzzed. So I get to the airport, knock back a couple. I think I was having a couple of Negroni or two. Get on the plane. And they were very cool at United on this first plane anyway. I don't think they charged me. They gave me, I, I asked for bourbon, and they gave me two little bottles. I land in San Francisco, and yes, you guessed it, I found a way to have a couple more drinks at the airport in San Francisco. So I go on that second airplane ride. Again, I order a bourbon, and they bring me Buffalo Trace, which is a fine, fine bourbon. And so I have a couple of bourbons on this second flight. But the next day, I'm up bright and early. Um, I, uh, you know, I, we somehow found a bottle of bourbon. I brought down some cigars, which we smoked in the courtyard, which was completely unauthorized. We were not allowed to smoke those cigars in the courtyard, and they very politely asked us to stop. And mostly we did until it looked like nobody was, was paying attention again. So then at that point... I, uh, you know, proceeded to smoke one of these cigars as well. Now, the activity for Friday night, instead of having a rehearsal dinner, basically they were having a luau. And so the luau, now this is after a whole day of drinking poolside. I basically slept through half of the luau. They were, there was staff knocking on my door. By the time I finally woke up, I saw, and now meanwhile, I, keep in mind, my time zones are all screwed up, and I was up with the rooster literally, and I'd been drinking all day. They have a ceremony. Ceremony was very nice, very touching. They get married, and then they do a reception at this place called uh, Down the Hatch, which was very good. We got there around 7, and when you know, they had an open bar from 7 p.m. till 1 a.m. Golly, shazam. Got to tell you. You heard in Frank's words, he has a serious drinking problem. He's a lush. There's no other way to describe it. He's uh, young, uh, so we don't see the rum rouge yet. He's not doing the Jake leg, one step forward, two steps backwards, but he's on his way to achieving uh, a drunk standard. So we are going to do an intervention here today, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator and um, nighttime producer, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, unknown from WCBS, where he has been the iconic uh, symbol of that station for so many years. And yours truly, the mighty whitey, the uh, Caucasian persuasion, the snowbro. The uh, compound in psychedelic mushrooms... Helped heavy drinkers cut back or quit entirely in the most rigorous test of psilocybin uh, for alcoholism. So uh, although the tests are not completed by the FDA, we have decided to move forward for the benefit of all of us. You, the listeners, we, the staff here at WABC, um, the Mama Luke, uh, Frank Morano staff, and anybody that has anything to do with him, we are going to do an intervention. We are going to get him on the wagon. And, I mean, you think of it. You think of it. What is it that we can do for Frank Morano that he cannot do for himself? He just We're does. all human. In spite of, uh, well, courtesy we may not be, but everyone else is. I may not be human, but you're human, so you're blaming it on your humanity? What the hell does that mean, Frank Morano? 
So the psilocybin found in several species of mushrooms can cause hours of vivid hallucinations, which I think is going to do Frank a hell of a lot of good. The guy is such a square, such a fuddy-duddy with his uh, pocket protector. He looks like a total geek, a schmendrick, a pisher. Indigenous people have used psilocybins in healing rituals, and scientists are exploring whether it can ease depression or help long-term smokers quit. It's illegal in the U.S., though Oregon said several cities have decriminalized it. Starting next year, Oregon will allow its supervised use by licensed facilitators. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And this is uh, simple because uh, Broadway Bill Lee, these experiments in shrooms and taking LSD, psilocybin, are taking place at the NYU Langone Center for Psychedelic Medicine. Psychedelic Shack, that's where it's at. So that's within walking distance of our own WABC studios. Uh, it will be a hell of a lot easier for us to get Frank Morano enrolled there, especially after his performance of late, in which he seems like he is uh, an, obser- an observation uh, for control by those uh, who continue to drink and act like luscious. And, you know, there are only three conventional drugs that have been approved to treat alcohol use disorder, and there's been no new drug approvals in nearly 50 years. Make that 20 years. That's two decades. While it's not known exactly how psilocybin, why am I having such a problem pronouncing that, huh? Works in the brain, researchers believe it increases connections and at least temporarily changes the way the brain organizes itself. Frank Morano believes in the spoken word talk therapy. I say enough talk. It's time that we get this guy the help that he needs. Marijuana is the flame, heroin is the fuse, LSD is the bomb. And I'm telling you, now that LSD is being used therapeutically, As people drop acid and normalize their relationships, their socializing, and they get full control of their mental and physical faculties. You know, afterwards, Frank can have an occasional glass of white wine, you know, but no more is he going to be a boozeaholic like he's been. And he can have all of his talk therapy, which is just a bunch of yentas talking to him. That's fine. But let's face it, we have to program into Frank Morano's mind that that drinking equals death. This way, he won't have a drink after that. I'm telling you. Six martinis is a lot. That's the the most that I've ever had in one sitting. And, And it always ends in disaster. Whenever you have six martinis, it's lights out. I mean, lights out, huh? Wow. That's unbelievable. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Norman calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Norman. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Um, I guess I uh, I drink. Um, however, several weeks ago, I 
took some advice from Frank Morano because usually I drink uh, uh, scotch or beer, and I took some advice. Uh, he was describing his favorite drink, which is a Bombay Sapphire gin martini straight up with a twist. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So when I went to my usual watering hole, I, I instead of ordering the normal uh, Johnny Walker Black on the Rocks, I had uh, Frank's drink. Um, anyway, I had, I believe, four, three or four of them. I have never been as drunk in my life. I mean, I was, uh, I was falling down drunk. So if that boy can drink six of them, you got to stage an intervention and do it quickly. Oh, there's no doubt. And now that uh, this experiment will be taking place at the NYU Langone Center for Psychedelic Medicine. Mm -hmm. That's right over on 34th Street and 1st Avenue within walking distance. And, you know, I got to get Frank to understand talk therapy is never going to talk him out of being a lush. So how are you going to get him to do this? Are you going to force him to take these mushrooms? He's not going. He's not going to go with this. You're going to have to. What can I do? What can I do? No, I mean you have to understand one thing about Frank is he is such a fuddy dud. He has no idea about LSD. I could easily slip him a Mickey with LSD. He would have no idea. <laughs> oh, you're going to dose him. You're yeah. going to freak him. Okay. He would have no idea. He is such a fuddy duddy guy. Remember. We think he's in his 30s. We think he's a hipster or millennial, although nobody knows. Uh, uh-huh. And he will not reveal it. But the guy is the president of the Al Jolson fan club who likes to hear Rudy Valley, can you spare a dime on a loop? Oh, I, I like those things too, Curtis. So maybe I need an intervention also. Or maybe a few more stiff ones. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't drink six. Oh, my God. And so it was really that bad, huh? Uh, Really bad. I uh, was sweating on the uh, on the way home from the LAR, on the LAR, and I uh, came pretty close to throwing up. But uh, I, uh, you know, I filled myself with food, and it got better. But for about two days, I was... Uh, pretty messed up. I mean, a headache, uh, a lot of Tylenol. Um, anyway, I will never drink a straight-up uh, Bombay Sapphire martini with a twist ever again. God, God, it sounds like drinking turpentine. Oh, my, my yeah. God. I don't know, I don't know how, what the proof is on that Bombay Sapphire. You ought to check that out. I, I, I think it was way, way north of 90 there are times when Frank Morano has had his second or third dry martini that mm-hmm. you can see his eyes roll in the back of his head, and that's after just two or three. Normally, come about 12 noon, he's he's tapped off about six of those dry martinis. Wow. He got a problem. And there's only one answer, which is NYU Langone Center, they're mm-hmm. looking for candidates. He's the perfect one for their psychedelic mm-hmm. medicine experimentation in the use of shrooms and LSD that can help heavy drinkers quit. It is possible to control small stands of Nutsedge by persistent pulling. This Nutsedge grows so quickly. It's very 
very frustrating. Do you have any additional tips on the uh, handling the nuts edge situation? Because we could use all the help that we can get there. What the <laughs> hell are you talking about? You see, I think he... you're going to have to use your martial arts background to subdue him, Curtis, because I don't think he's going. I don't think he's going to go along with this. Well, we figured out how to lure him into uh, taking the shrooms mm-hmm. in cheese, fromage. As you know, he loves all ah, kinds of you're cheese. Put it in the cheese. Yeah, yeah. He loves foreign oh. cheese, French cheese. He he's addicted mm-hmm. to it, and uh, mm-hmm. we figure, you know, we could take a tab, put it in the cheese. It will not be right. noticeable. It's not like you can taste it. Uh, he'll have his uh, imported uh, French cheese. He'll be like a a pig in a trough, and he'll right. he'll love it. He'll love it and uh, not well, realize. I'm quite fond of cheese. <laughs> I would actually love a Velveeta scented nail polish. I think that would be great. And Norman, he will not realize that he's tripping. He will not okay. realize it. I'm telling you that. But let me ask you a question now. This test in NYU. This was done on Native Americans, or or what? What I mean, because when I think of these hallucinogens, uh, uh, this when I think of I think of Native Americans. I don't think of Italian Americans living in Staten Island. I, I, I this experiment may not go so well, Curtis. Well, he is a Sicilian Redskin. Understand that. <laughs> He has Sicilian blood. He's a cheat. He's a zip. Yeah. This might be like the movie The Trip. What was it with Bruce Dern, like from the 60s? Yeah. You know I mean? Yes. This, this, yes. Could be a, this could be a bad, bad trip. Right. But remember, whenever you do these experimentations, you also have some of the candidates who get a placebo, who think that they're um, getting acid, but in reality, it's nothing. Okay. But, but this, he may not come out of this, Curtis. My point to you is it may be like a really bad trip. But, you know, hey, there'll be more hours for you to work. Damn right. I'll eat up his real estate and everybody else's <laughs> real estate here. Nor- Norman, I, I, I must tell you that at this point we are all concerned here because he is tethered to the bottle. He is tethered okay. to the bottle. Okay. We yeah, are we okay. are we are gonna do uh, we are gonna do our well, best here, Norman. We got to dry him out. I think uh, Avery, uh, are you committed to that uh, project now? I, I realize that Frank has not treated you well, but I think really that's a result yes. of his drinking. Really, I'm ready and I'm committed. <laughs> you don't sound like you're that committed. You sound like you hope that he'll. Uh, He'll drink some bathtub gin. Look, we could do this. We could do this the easy way, or we can do this the fun way. One way or the other, he'll stop. Wow, but he he does now. Obviously, I can't hear all the Frank Morano, the other sides of midnight, one to five Monday through Fridays. But Avery, as a telephone talent coordinator and nighttime producer, oftentimes you're on loan to Frank Morano and his McWhitey Whitey crew. You oftentimes uh, hear him talking about his binging, right? Yes. Ah, he's making this well known. They are so stingy with what they give you. They load these drinks up with ice and then put like a drop, drop, eyedropper worth of alcohol in there. So it's very tough to get drunk. I mean, fortunately, I'm a very committed drinker and I can manage it, but it's very difficult. 
I mean, he's indicting himself. This is incredible. You know, because he is searching for religion now, he was born a Roman Catholic, he's rejected it. He experimented briefly in being a wannabe Catholic and Episcopalian. That didn't work out. Now he wants to be a Methodist, uh, just like Hillary Rodham Clinton and Bush 43. Oofa. But um, we'll convince him that dropping acid and taking shrooms are part of uh, a religious procedure that he will probably be enamored with because he... When he does this, he'll be able to sit. He doesn't have to move around. He doesn't have to uh, uh, rejiggle himself in any way, shape, or form. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. succeed in this intervention to drive Frank Morano out, who, based on all of his descriptions, has become a walking, talking lush. No doubt about it. You heard Norman describe what Frank was telling him he should drink, and Norman got polluted, got frightened, and it's only going to get worse. And we got to do this because soon Carmine, his child who's 40 pounds now, is going to recognize that his father's a lush when he sees the veins protruding from his nose because of the rum rouge. I'm going to get him! Oh, wait! Wait a minute! Wait! Wait! Wait a minute! Think of it. How many times, telephone talent coordinator Avery, have you seen Frank in the midst of brain fog? Well, now we know how to treat it. With shrooms, with acid, we will be able to introduce it into Frank's constitution through that that he is addicted to, fromage. Imported cheese from France, from Italy, from Spain. We've got to do this, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to save Frank Morano. Let me give you an idea of what is happening to him as this... Uh, Alcohol is eating up his brain and giving him brain fog. He has this scam called a $1,000 minute 
Booby Prize. It's 10 questions, and if you can get all 10 right within the course of 60 uh, seconds, you can win $1,000. Now, Frank Morano doesn't have that kind of chump change. He'll have to take a reverse mortgage or, uh, more importantly, a payday loan. But it has to be paid. I want you to hear how, between gambling and drinking, he... He's saving every nickel-diamond penny for his two vices, gambling and drinking. That Alyssa, who was calling all the way from the West Coast, I believe, Los Angeles, won the financial booby prize of $1,000 in getting 10 of the questions correct in 60 seconds, and Frank Morano became a Welsh. What zodiac sign is represented with a lion? A Leo? That that is that is correct. We are out of time though now, right? Okay, so you you got eight questions right, which I think Frank Frank Frank, you are speaking too slow. No, I, well, I I mean we, I don't think I, we are not out of time. We, we were. I out of time. Alyssa, 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 what? chill out. Um, so um, we're we're out of time, but you did win one hundred dollars because of your eight question showing under the John Katzenbatidis rule. So congratulations. We're going to, um, hey, uh, let me see if you would have gotten the ninth question, just in case. We, Nobody uh, Pandora's box here, buddy. Yeah, no, no, no. That was John's rule. The John, okay. John's Six rule, or, or, or I don't remember if it was John or Margo. No, well, I don't know. If you're an East Coaster, you'd be able to, you know, do if that. If you quick. stumble on a question. He had to enunciate. He had to enunciate. You, 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 you were a little slow on the Wyoming and the paper. And I the, think and the Mets and the Mets. I think if you were a little quicker on all three, we would have oh gotten to all. Wait, let's go to the replay. So, Alyssa, you have won one hundred dollars. Congratulations! I am curious if you would have gotten all ten had had we been a little quicker. So, this was question nine, right? I'm going to see if you would have gotten it. Who was the first U.S. president to be impeached? Uh, okay. Um... Okay, I think that was... I think you're looking this up. Andrew Johnson. I think you definitely looked that up, which is why we have 60 seconds. And then... Um, no, I know Andrew Johnson. Yeah, uh, you definitely Andrew looked Johnson that up. Was the first one to be impeached. You, you def- and Richard Nixon was not impeached. Right. And well, then, I know, because I came impeached. up with the question. I know. And then uh, lastly... So you, wait, you, you, you cheated to find the question. You didn't know off the top of your head. No, I knew. I knew, oh, okay. I knew that one. Okay, Alyssa, I'm putting you on hold... Give Avery your information. You you did your city, your new city of Los Angeles proud. Wow. Doesn't he understand the first rule in this thing of ours? This thing that we so love is the customer is always right. The customers are the listeners. Avery, did he not understand that Alyssa won, won the booby prize of $1,000? He did everything he could to avoid giving her what was justly hers. Am I right or wrong? You were here at that time, Avery. It was shameful, Curtis. I mean, I'm sitting there the whole time just shaking my head at him. That, I watched the thing just just really just collapse right, right under his... And he started getting so nervous and stuttering, and I was like, oh, God, here we go. And he showed no shame. Shame, no. Blaze even tried to jump in and help him, and it still it, it, it didn't work. It was just... A, it, the situation was just... Uh, it, it was hard to watch. I understand that Alyssa then called back a week later, right? Yeah. 
Alyssa is in Los Angeles. Hello, Alyssa. Yes, hello. Hello. I've got a really good one for you. I'm ready. Okay. Why did I receive this weird hat in the mail and not the prize money I won last week? Well, oh, so you played the $1,000 minute, and I remember you. You won $100. Of course right? you remember me. Yeah. <laughs> of course I do. Of course I do. Um, so I, uh, you didn't get money? I sure didn't. No, well, so. I got a uh, really weird hat in the mail. It's really weird. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, Kenneth, did you tell Jake, the, um, our director of promotions, that Alyssa was entitled to money? What, I'm sorry, what did you say there, Kenneth? Would you say I can check on that, but I believe so, Frank. All right. Well, so let's let's send a reminder that uh, that Alyssa is entitled to money. And uh, Alyssa, we're going to get you that hundred dollars. If you don't get it by uh, this time next week, I I will You're be happy. Double it. Well, no, we're not going to double it. I will be happy to give you the hundred dollars myself via Venmo. Really? You're gonna you're gonna oh Venmo. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought you would fly to L.A. and give it to me. No, no, no. I, I'm not in a I'm so, I'm so arrogant. I'm no, I'm not flying to L.A. right now. But if you want to fly to New York, I'll, I'll be happy to give you a $100 bill, Alyssa. Yeah, let's do Venmo. Venmo. Okay. All right. Well, listen, well hopefully hopefully the station will, will handle this for me. But I uh, I appreciate the call, the question, and the reminder. And uh, I appreciate the, uh, the trivia aptitude that you showed last week. What zodiac sign is represented with a lion? Leo? That that is that is correct. We are out of time though now, right? Okay, so you you got eight questions right, which I think Frank, 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 you were speaking too slow. No, I, well, I I mean what? I don't think I. We are not out of time. What well, we were? I questions. Alyssa, 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 what? chill out. Um, so um, we're we're out of time, but you did win one hundred dollars because of your. Eight questions showing under the John Katzenmatidis rule. So congratulations. We're going to... Um, hey, uh, let me see if you would have gotten the ninth question. Unbelievable. What a welcher. Anything to get out of doing the right thing, which would have been to grant her the grand prize of $1,000. I mean, he doesn't... I've heard some of these contestants. They're like special ed. They're jadrules. They're knuckle-draggers. But this this woman won it fair and square. Am I right or wrong, Avery? Curtis, like, you can look at the JFK-style cover-up afterwards to know that there was something bad going on there. Like, he tried to turn me into a white guy named Ken. Even though the, the, she told him Avery was working, he said in in, in the first clip, Give your information to Avery. All of a sudden, I become kid. <laughs> like it's it's it's, it's a bad situation. Kid. He was he was nervous. Yeah, he he Lee Harvey Oswald to me out of the story because he knew over here on the other side we give it we give it the straight dope. By the way, did Ted Cruz's father uh, assist you as Lee Harvey Oswald in the killing of JFK? Yeah, I, I was getting strange phone calls all night. You know, I mean it's. It's, it's a, it'll tell you, it was a hard situation to watch, man. Wow, he just doesn't want to part with that money. Mm-mm. He's got alligator arms in the worst possible way. And then he sends her a hat. After after getting her not to get the grand, he agrees to send her 100 And then he sends her a hat instead of 100 Oh, my God. And she was, like, ranking on the hat. <laughs> a raggedy hat. Man. Oh. 
Man. That is so embarrassing. Harassing me to my soul, Curtis. That's embarrassing to the station. And then if you notice, he keeps referencing John and Margot. It's like he's hiding behind them. What do they have to do with any of this? He tried to bring out the big guns. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a welcher. Mm-mm. What a deadbeat. Lord have mercy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So really what you're saying is this contest is rigged. You can never win it. Well, it's shaping up to be that way. I mean, she I has- mean, it's like you go to the carnival, right, and you have the uh, three bottles and you have the baseball, and you're never going to be able to knock those three bottles down because of the way they've been shaved and crafted. You'll never be able to knock them down. So basically the fix is in. Frank has put the fix in. Even when you get the questions, you're not going to get the $1,000. I mean, if you're going to be sitting there at 8, staring 9 and 10 in the face, and then he's just going to cut the clock on you, what can you do? And then to tell, to tell her. Oh, you only got eight out of the ten. And he's talking like molasses, like he's purposefully slowing the process down. He's handling her. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's go to how he handled Eric for the $1,000 contest. Now, again, ladies and gentlemen, this is a scam, a scam of all scams. Uh, Within one minute, 60 seconds, you have to answer ten questions. And if you do that within... One minute, you're going to win $1,000. Who played Spock on Star Trek? Robert Nimoy. Uh, we'll give you that, but no. Um, no, actually, we can't give you that. I'm sorry. I'll get in trouble. What, what happened? Well, but you said it's Robert Nimoy. Wait, wait, no, oh, my gosh. Can, can, can I go back? Now, I, I don't think so. I mean, you, you, you kind of got it wrong when... I mean, um, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think, Eric, why don't we give you another opportunity to play tomorrow, okay? Take Eric's number, because he did say Nimoy. Had he just said Nimoy, we would have given it to him. So, Eric. Oh, what we, come on. Yeah, I mean, but you can't, you can't give the guy a different first name, Eric. Ouch, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Eric, I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information. We'll let you play again tomorrow, okay? All right, hang on. Robert was his cousin. No, it wasn't. Well, how do we know that? Right, it's still well, that's a different person. That's the th- it is a different person. That's why we. That's why he lost. But exactly. Had he just said, had he given less information, he would have been right. You know. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I know. That's why I feel bad though. I feel like no hat yet. No, no consolation prize. We'll give him an opportunity to play uh, tomorrow. So, what a scooch! Wow, you would think it was his money, right? What is wrong with that guy? I mean, he truly is throwing nickels around like manhole covers. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then his another $1,000 minute scam of a contest. By the way, there was a whole uh, corruption uh, case involving game shows, radio and TV, years ago in the late 50s, early 60s. It was called Payola. This might well be uh, verging on the very concept of Payola. Watch your P's and Q's, Frank. Who played Captain Kirk on Star Trek? 
Oh, no. <laughs> what a moron. Also, Denny Crane on Boston Legal hosted Rescue 911 for a while. T.J. Hooker. What a gobble. Yeah, I know it, but I've drawn a blank. You want to take a guess? Take a guess? Any Star Trek actor? Well, it's not Leonard. Close. No, I'm drawing a blank. Close. All right. Uh, it was um, William Shatner. William, yeah, Shatner. William Shatner. All right. All well, right. Well, thank you very much. Well, thanks, Dave. Dave, hang on. Uh, give your uh, contact information to Kenneth, and we will uh, we'll send you a prize of some sort, okay? That would be great. Thank you. Have a good day. Hey, you too. Thanks for listening, and um, I'm glad you're getting up early to listen, and uh, I'm sorry you didn't win. All right. Uh, Kenneth, take Dave's information, if you would. William Shatner. We would have just accepted William in all likelihood. Got to know Shatner, especially listening to this show. Come on. God, how embarrassing. Wait. This one takes the cake. And let's meet today's contestant, Paul in Nanuet. Hello there, Paul. How you doing there, Frank? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening, Paul. Thanks for uh, uh, being a part of our show. Thank you. I really enjoy the show. I listen to it every morning. Oh, great. Okay, so you must be an old pro at this particular game, right? You know the rules? Uh, no, I actually don't know the rules uh, because I really uh, I listen. But I don't listen that well sometimes. <laughs> okay, well, but you listen every day. Uh, yes, I do. I okay. do, but I, but I get I get emails in between and different things. So okay, uh, well, it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. So after I ask you the first question, we're going to start the timer, which will be sixty seconds, and uh, we're going to ask you ten relatively easy trivia questions. And then um, you will have to answer all 10 of these in 60 seconds. If you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next one so that we can run through these. If you answer a question incorrectly, you'll hear an incorrect buzzer, and you will not get $1,000, okay? Okay, gotcha. All right. Ready to go? Yes, sir. All right. Name a brand of gum. Wrigley's. What holiday marks the unofficial end of summer? Labor Day. What's the first name of playwright Shakespeare? I don't know. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. He wrote Romeo and Juliet. What was his first name? Starts with a W. Willard. Willard? Willard Shakespeare? No, Paul, it's William. William Shakespeare. Oh. Paul, oh, Paul, he hung up. I, I didn't mean to embarrass him, but, I mean, that is Willard Shakespeare. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. You know, if uh, Richard Bay was still here, he'd be saying, where do they find these people? Um, you know what? Some people have suggested, and I've resisted this, but some people have suggested that we start asking, screening people and asking a qualifying question because that's pretty bad. I mean, and I'm, I'm not a scholar. I don't pretend to be a literary historian at all, but you have to know Shakespeare's first name, right? That is a qualifying question. <laughs> right. 
Ah, I feel bad because he seemed like a nice guy. He feels bad. Wow. What a rip-off contest. Man, he's selling wolf tickets there, Curtis. There's no way you could screen the callers. You don't have the time. And then, remember, he said, the caller said, oh, I listen all the time. Do you know the rules of the game? No. So how does he listen all the time and not know the rules of the game? But, Curtis, you, you overlooked. He said he's getting emails during the game. Who, he's getting emails at, like, 445 in the morning? I'm telling you, he's a plant, man. This is all a conspiracy, man. He's a plant. <laughs> so you don't buy this, do you? I don't buy this. Not with $1,000, I wouldn't buy this. Yeah, well, that's just it. He doesn't want to give up $1,000. No. He's got alligator arms. He's a welcher. He makes a deal. He gives you the rules and regulations. The customer is always right. That's our clients, the listeners. And then all of a sudden, he, he performs tricknology on it. And the one person that gets there just close enough to the thousand dollars to touch it, he cuts the clock. He pulls the the plug on the clock. Yep, that's not cool. There's no other way of describing it. That thousand dollars is an AC, uh, Kurt. That's where that thousand dollars is. Damn right, probably shooting craps as we speak at the Borgata. Yeah, that's why nobody can ever win it. Playing baccarat with all the Chinese there, claiming as a howley he knows how to win in baccarat against the Chinese, not. We got to get a Harvard professor to call in and play. <laughs> and when he don't win, then that's going that's going to expose everything. <laughs> Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Nobody's going to sleep. Nobody. You're hanging tight till the break of dawn. God, what a cacaround Frank is. He's a real cacaround. A real cacaround. Nobody's going to sleep. No. Nobody. You're going to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. We are going to get Frank Morano on the wagon if it's the last thing we do with shrooms, with LSD. Prove it. the flame. Heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. Proven. To dry you out now. We are enrolling Frank in this uh, test program, which is taking place just a few blocks from where we broadcast here. In fact, we can probably get him a scholarship at the NYU Langone Center for Psychedelic Medicine.
make sure that these magic mushrooms, the uh, psychedelics, are uh, placed in the one thing in life he is addicted to, and that is not just gambling, shooting craps, playing baccarat or roulette, but eating fromage, imported cheese, ou fromage. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. In fact, uh, let's go to Rick uh, in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Rick. Yeah, good morning, Curtis. Listen, you don't you don't have to put it in cheese like a dog. My friend just uh, he's, she's in Minnesota right now. Uh, she just bought a bunch of chocolate candy bars that are filled with psilocybin mushrooms legally, legally in the store. So you just hand them a bar of chocolate. All right. So actually, she purchased it in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, I, apparently it's not statewide, it's countywide. Mm. Like a, county, mm. a county can make it okay, just like Oregon has it in certain, certain counties. It's not statewide yet. So, yeah, I mean, it's now New Jersey, right as we speak, has a bill up for vote to do the same thing, to allow uh, small amounts in, in, like, candies and stuff for uh, personal use. Also, I got another thing. Don't hang up before we finish it, right? I, got one I believe that... Uh... We need to get on this mission, get on the good foot. We, this is, this is all what we do here at WABC. It's all for one, one for all. We're like the three musketeers. We have to come and help Frank in his time of need, Rick. Well, you're, you're absolutely right up on the, on the, uh, research. It, it is really being used for the alcoholism. I mean, you're right up on top. I'm, a, you're always on top of things. Mm. But, yeah. uh, but, uh, <clears throat> I just wanted to let you know that. It's coming. It's coming to the town near you. You know, it's not. It's not going to be like uh, you got to go to the corner anymore. You can just go to the store and buy it. Wow. Now here's here's another thing. I got a, I got a an idea for a show to do. Okay. You ever, have you ever watched the TV show Drunk History? Drunk History. Yes. No. Okay. You got to you got to <clears throat> you know do it on your TV and Google it and watch it. It's a thing where comedians. Uh, a comedian the night before reads a documentary, and then he comes in and he drinks a half a bottle of booze, a half a bottle, and then he tells the story. And the story is reenacted in the way he tells it. Like if he's saying uh, about uh, uh, Lincoln going, well, that's bogus, man, that's bogus. The actor is actually mouthing those words, that's bogus, that's bogus. And it's in his voice, so it's hysterical. I was wondering if you could do a drunk radio show hmm. where every break you take a swig of booze hmm. and we see how it progresses. So I remember one time you did a show on Percocet and you were you were on fire that yeah. day. Yes. Uh, no, in fact, uh, there's no doubt about it. problem is that ever since I got uh, colitis, ileitis, and then full-blown Crohn's disease, I can't drink alcohol. Uh, or it will put me in Columbia Presbyterian again for like an eight and a half, ten hour operation. Uh, my stomach, my insides, uh, I don't know how well they'd hold up under that. If I had to, I had to, Rick. I'm not looking forward to that in no way, shape, or form. Let's go to Jim calling from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. 
Hey, Curtis, how you doing? I'm calling about that thousand dollar uh, the the contest that uh, Frank Morano supposedly puts on. Yes. Ba- yeah, back in uh, July, I think it was July sixth. I got eight out of ten questions, and I received nothing. Not Five even, not speed. even belly button lint. Guy, well, that's I, I got that to begin with, but uh, not even, uh, not even uh, an email or, or anything. They took my information. Just want to let you know what's going on there at the at the uh, station there that. Frank probably got five or six martinis, or he got a hundred of those cheap cigars. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. But uh, so you were totally stiffed. So totally stiffed. In fact, twice because back October, I got seven out of ten, and they they're going to send me some hat. I never got the hat, which I didn't care about. Wow. Not a hundred dollars. You know, Frank could take it and stick it if he wants to. He wish this. Well, I'll tell you if what. It was, the fi- if it was the 500 would be a different story. If it's $100 now, if he, if he needs it that bad, he can keep it. Well, i tell you what, uh, uh, Jim, hang on the phone line here. You need to get this information, Avery. We need to make right out of the wrong that Frank Morano did to Jim in Connecticut. In the interim, let's go to Tony in Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Hi, an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I always thought this thing with Frank Morano uh, and you going on and on was kind of a spoof. But after listening to Avery, I've got to tell you that uh, he substantiates everything that you allege, and I really do think it's a problem. Uh, you know, I think the guy really has some deep-seated issues. Frank uh, Morano is a pathetic excuse for a man. <laughs> there you go. And I do have a couple questions for you. I've been a fan of yours since I was maybe 12, 14 years old. I'm going to be 60 this year. I think you're eight, nine years older than I. What originally stemmed the motivation to create the Guardian Angels? How old were you? And uh, now I know, you know, the Angels are worldwide. And I just think it was a pure genius idea. Uh, at one time, I was going to come to New York City. I was from, I was born in upstate New York. I wanted to be on the NYPD, and then I ended up in the sheriff's department in my own home county. But I always wondered what really motivated you, and at what age were you? I've heard you tell different segments of the history and how you've gone to different places and formed different teams of guardian angels. So I, I, I kind of would like to know that and i can hang up and listen for your answer oh no problem do appreciate that tone uh uh, in fact i had been uh working on the concept of the guardian angels a uh citizen safety patrol that would be riding the subways the streets uh and patrolling the uh the parks for quite some time i was 25 years old when uh, i decided to uh, officially begin the process since i had attracted enough in-house folks from uh, Mickey D's, where I was the night manager at the time. Uh, and then eventually, uh, I no longer needed the uh, folks who were working at uh, McDonald's to make up uh, the troops that were needed to get this work done, especially protecting folks on the subway. Uh, so uh, uh, after months and months of training, uh, particularly with the night crew, these were the men and women that I had hired, and I hired them not for their ability uh to pass tests at Ray Kroc uh, Hamburger uh, University, but rather their ability to stick together in a team, to go back-to-back, belly-to-belly, like the Three Musketeers, and most importantly, 
to be able to join the efforts of the growing number of guardian angels who were coming into that restaurant to join up, even though they weren't working for me, they had no affiliation with McDonald's, they really didn't know much about me. Uh, this enabled them to get empowered and then to go out there and start making a difference. And then from there, uh, other individuals were permitted to start up their own patrols, but they had to go through the same training, training process. Uh, it wasn't just a rubber stamp operation. And then uh, people were inviting uh, us uh, from other uh, cities. Newark, New Jersey was the first because it was in direct proximity. Then Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. So at present, after uh, 43 years of uh, leading this effort, we now have guardian angels in 13 countries, 130 cities, close to 5,000 international members. Uh, here in New York City, the five boroughs where the crime is just skyrocketing. Eric uh, Adams, the mayor, the swagger man, has no plan. We've got uh, 250 members. And earlier on Saturday, I was out in Bensonhurst and Sunset Park. We were launching our Guardian Angel patrols there, first time ever, comprised of mostly Chinese-American Guardian Angels because the bulk of the attacks in both those neighborhoods in Brooklyn have been against Asian-Americans, and we're going to put a stop to that. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Temptations. Take that, James Golden. Both nerdly. Plank's his uh, musical uh, choices are better than mine. No way. Check it out. 
what a day I've got ahead of me. Every day is a new day. There'll be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. Many uh, people out there would love to see that uh, fulfilled. So i got to live my life to make a difference. And I'll be heading out to uh, the Brighton Beach Jubilee starting at 12. That's where all the uh, Russians and Ukrainians will be gathered up. Place will be packed. I'll be there with the Guardian Angels. There should be uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin there campaigning for the governorship against Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. Also other uh, Republicans uh, from the uh, Southern uh, Republican GOP in Brooklyn. South Brooklyn uh, GOP. And I'll be there to support their efforts. And it'll be quite a crowd. And I know a lot of folks will be coming up to me, especially the Ukrainians, saying, hey, we got 10,000 refugees coming. And I'll say, yeah, how come you have to get sponsors like the old-fashioned way that our grandparents and great-grandparents did when they came to Ellis Island? And those pouring across the border from Mexico into Texas then put on the Greyhound and pounding the hound and being sent to the Port Authority here in New York City only to be sent to the Milford Plaza and other hotels to cop a squat. They don't have to have a sponsor. Oh, it should be a very interesting uh, conversation today. So if you happen to be in the area of Brighton Beach, come on out to the Brighton Beach Jubilee. Uh, If we can, uh, give me a little uh, kid rock underneath, man. I need that that stimulation all summer long because, you know, we're starting to uh, get towards the end of the summer. And uh, I want to comment... on a, a few different stories, do something a little different, a potpourri, a panoply of different stories, instead of just focusing on one theme, one story that has a link, a thread. I want to go through a whole group of different stories, many of them that are not even connected to one another, but many of them involve freakazoids, jet setters, trendoids, and people who think, hey, you know me, I'm Mr. Big Stuff. Who do you think you are? And they're not. First off, the story has come out, and I know a lot of you listening to me right now have tats. You've gotten tats uh, put on your skin from the tip of your nose to the tip of your toes. And, in fact, you can't wait to go to a tattoo parlor. You can't wait to get locked up and arrested so that your Maytag can put a tattoo on you. Or you like to put a tattoo on yourself. I'd like to see a woman put a tram stamp on herself. That would almost be impossible. That's a tattoo on a woman's lower back. But anyway, no matter where you have the tattoos, whether you have it on your face like Mike Tyson, right? Whether you have it on your tuchus, whether you have it on your thigh, whether you have it on your shoulder like uh, Rocky Stallone does now. You know, his wife Flavin is divorcing him after uh, about 20 years of marriage. They want to split the assets. So what did Stallone do? He took, he had a really gorgeous tattoo of his wife Flavin on his entire right arm, right up to the shoulder. He had that removed, and instead he's got a tattoo of his newest uh, dog, a Rottweiler named Butkus, that has covered his old wife's tattoo. I have a feeling that's going to cost him uh, a few extra shekels, a few extra few extra dollars there. How many of you, though, 
if this could be proven to you, would have your tattoos removed. Tattoo inks used in the United States of America may contain cancer-causing chemicals. This, according to a new study. By the way, uh, how many of you have tramp stamps? Can you imagine extricating those tramp stamps uh, on the back uh, of your tukis? By the way, remember that $1.3 billion Mega Millions winner? Remember we were talking about Vega, who used to be the gal that would uh, pick the numbers at night for the uh, New York State Lottery? She no longer does it. She's retired. But uh, this is like over a month ago, a $1.34 billion Mega Millions winner still hasn't claimed their prize after one month. The winning ticket was sold at the Speedway in Des Plaines, and they're entitled to a cash bonus of $500,000 for selling the winning ticket, but the winner has not in any way, shape, or form emerged. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I'm Yolanda Vega. That's right. Yolanda! Yolanda! Mira, mira! Yolanda, I need a winner. I need a winner. Yolanda Vega. Before I declare bankruptcy, Chapter 11, I need a winner tonight. Yolanda Vega. Oh, man, she was hot to trot. She used to do that from the studios of uh, Channel 5. Yolanda Vega. Yo, Metro Media Studios before it became Fox because Murdoch purchased it. Yolanda Vega. And then she moved up to Albany and started picking the numbers up there. Yolanda Vega. All right, enough of that, Yolanda. Stifle it. What a yenta. I never got a win. Uh, you never picked winning numbers for me, Yolanda. Yolanda Vega. Could you explain how a $1.34 billion mega million winner still hasn't claimed his prize after one month? That's amazing. Anyway, update. Chris Evans didn't know that She-Hulk would spill beans on Captain America's virginity. Apparently, the cat's out of the bag. Now, first off, before there was Captain America, there was Superman, right? Superman is the ultimate superhero. Nobody can touch Superman. So you had Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter. We know that he was not having sex because Lois Lane was damn well hitting on him every chance she had. And then Lois Lane would go gaga goo goo for Superman when Clark Kent would find the nearest uh, telephone booth and go through a transition. And we know that Superman never had any sex with Lois Lane. So why are you telling us that Captain America is a virgin when, in fact... It's Superman who is a virgin, right? And Clark Kent is alter ego. You think anybody cares about that? Not. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Meantime, Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, reveals in his forthcoming White House memoir that he knew that President Donald Trump was recovering from his nasty bout of COVID in the fall of 2020 when he requested one of his most favored meals. McDonald's, a Big Mac, filet fish fries, and a vanilla shake. (laughs) 
And apparently, according to some in Trump's inner circle, the main reason that then-President Donald Trump preferred fast food was because he had a long-time fear of being poisoned. Wow. That is incredible. And in fact, one of the reasons that he liked to eat McDonald's was that nobody would know he was coming and the food was safely pre-made. Corey Lewandowski, who was his original uh, campaign manager in his first run against Hillary Rodham Clinton before he had to exit stage left, said that back then in 2016, it was normal for then-candidate Donald Trump to order two Big Macs, two fish fillet, and a chocolate malted. Meantime, uh, guess who is being shipped off to the old Soviet Union, Mother Russia? He is uh, friends uh, of Vladimir Putin. No, 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 no. He is not uh, Steven Seagal. He's already there. And as you know, he has dual citizenship. But apparently it is sealed, signed, and delivered. Dennis Rodman, uh, who, if you remember, eloped with Carmine Electra, Baywatch, to the Little White uh, Church in downtown New Orleans. Remember, they were married by that Elvis impersonator. Five days later, Carmen Electra came to her senses, looked across the bed and said, What? I married that guy? And she sought an annulment. Well, that didn't stop Dennis Rodman. He took a licking but came back kicking and continued in that same process. But uh, here was a guy, Dennis Rodman, who, as it was explained to me by the owner of the San Antonio Spurs, which eventually he was traded to, having played for the world champion Chicago Bulls of Michael Jordan, and then the uh, Detroit Pistons, and then the San Antonio Spurs, but that for breakfast, Dennis Rodman, great rebounder, great defensive player, great team player, lousy offensive player, and freaky-deaky. That for breakfast, Dennis Rodman would have sugar-frosted flakes. Tony the Tiger, it's great, from Battle Creek, Michigan. And he would uh, mix it with bourbon. Bourbon and sugar-frosted flakes, they're great! So said Dennis Rodman. Now, this one you're going to have to explain because I have absolutely no idea who the hell this guy is. Harry Styles. Harry Styles has been named the first ever Glover, global cover star of Rolling Stone magazine. He is considered the king of pop. Now, years ago, it was Michael Jackson, that pedophile on a pedestal, who was considered the king of pop. And I knocked him off his pedestal because every time they would mention that, oh, the king of pop, as designated, as anointed by Rolling Stone magazine, I would say, hey... Before you even mention that, he's a pedophile on a pedestal. You can't do that. I have no idea who this Harry Styles is, but all of a sudden, everybody's saying, oh, Harry Styles. He's the, he, it's sort of like he's getting the Frank Morano treatment. He's the here and now of pop music. Oh, everything starts with Harry Styles, ends with Harry Styles. Apparently, he's from the U.K. Apparently, at one moment, he's male. Another male moment, he's female. Another moment, he's non-binary. Of the moment, he's calling himself they, we, us, and them. They, we, us, and them. What the hell does that mean? You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? But now they claim that Harry Styles is the king of pop. 
And Harry Styles has turned Madison Square Garden into Harry's house. In the first of 15 shows, and apparently he's packed it out. He's in competition with Bugaboo-Eye Billy Joel. Billy Joel, who uh, is appearing uh, every month at least once to keep his string alive. But there's a very real chance that Harry Styles is going to knock him out of the box. Right out of his Love on Tour 2022 trek, he's already scheduled 15, yes, 15 sold-out concerts that will run through September 21st. But who the hell is Harry Styles? Can anybody out there answer that question? 1-800-848-9222. It's like the cult of Harry Styles, but who is he? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Some say, well, he's not the best singer. He's not the best musician. And certainly not the best dancer. But he is Mr. Pop of 2022. Guy's a dork. You ever seen him dance? He's like dorky. He's got that song, what, Watermelon Sugar? Did the brothers uh, let him sing that without... Uh, Hitting him so hard his mother will feel the vibrations? Yeah, Rolling Stone has anointed Harry Styles the king of pop. Meantime, uh, Sid Rosenberg is continuing to bug me as he continues to text me and say, Hey, you got you to gotta sling my book out there. Sid Rosenberg, co-written by uh, Johnny Russo, as you know from Godfather fame. What a vig he's got hanging over... Uh, Sid Rosenberg's head. It's called Citizens United. The forward is by John Katsimatidis and Bernard McGurk. It's salacious. It spiels stories, suggestions, and solutions to withstand a woke world. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. No, you're not going to sleep. I'm going to take you to the break of dawn. That's what I do on the weekends. As I do the other side of midnight, weekend style, 12 midnight to 6 Saturday mornings. Then so nice, the suits let me do it twice, 12 to 6 Sunday mornings. And remember, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, I'll be back just a few hours after I return from the Brighton Jubilee. Out there with all Ukrainians, all the Russians, Congressman Zeldin campaigning to become the next governor. I'll be taking that D train back. And then from 3 to 5, updating you on the news of the day, getting your... Your response, call-driven as it always is on the weekends when I do the Quinella. Five separate programs where WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. And then it's uh, Vinnie Madugno, the new rising star from Staten Island, teaches school by day, entertains at night, and has two shows on the weekend, five to six on Saturdays before his mentor, Cousin Brucey. And then on Sundays, 5 to 6, before Jersey Joe Piscopo, who does two hours of the Frank Sinatra show, sponsored by Ramsey Monster. And then it's uh, Dean Martin's uh, daughter, who spins stacks of wax of Dean and his associates from 8 to 9. And then I'm back to do it all over again from 9 to 11. 
with the other breaking news and I taking uh, taking your calls at that point and doing some commentary, and then to the most requested, most phoned into, and. Uh, most informative of the many hours that I do, the Animal Welfare Hour, with my uh, beautiful wife, uh, Nancy, as we give you the issues that are affecting the animal community, dogs, cats, obviously in the aftermath of what was International Doggy Day on Friday, and the ongoing uh, trials and tribulations of uh, Ryder, the uh, carriage uh, horse that was impaired, has been sent upstate supposedly uh, to be retired, but we haven't been able to get any documentary evidence that, in fact, he's alive and well and not at a slaughterhouse or a glue factory. Going to be dealing with all of that. Then it's Dominic Carter. He's the buffer between me and the Mameluke Frank Morano, who then comes on at 1 o'clock and begins the week of the other side of midnight, 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. Let's get back on uh, top in terms of what's happening here. Novak Djokovic. And by the way, I hate, I despise, I loathe tennis. But uh, because he's unvaccinated, he's uh, not going to be able to play in the U.S. Open. Too bad. Go back to Serbia. All of you, go back to your countries of origin. I hate it. You know, it really bothered me all those years when David Dinkins was mayor four years he would show up at the U.S. Open in his tennis whites, and he would order and redirect all aircraft attempting to take off or land at LaGuardia to stay away from the U.S. Open Stadium, the Louis Armstrong Stadium, the Arthur Ashe Stadium. No, they could fly over City Field, or before that, uh, they could fly over Shea Stadium. But, oh, they couldn't fly over the U.S. Open because all those people with their $38 slices of quiche that you need an electron microscope to see, you know, they walk around like they own the city. I hate them. I loathe them. I despise them. I remember there was a time when the vice president of programming a fiend who is totally into tennis said, you must represent us at the U.S. Open. I said, please, I would rather take a shattered tennis racket and impale myself. Don't do this. No, you must go, Curtis. So here it was. We were on the M track, excuse me, the Long Island Railroad track, heading out to uh, Louis Armstrong Stadium, Arthur Ashe Stadium, to watch the beginning of the U.S. Open. And I dreaded every moment of it. Every moment of it. So halfway through in the sunny side yards, we were stuck. John Gambling was on the train. Tim McCarthy was our general manager. Mitch Dolan was there. Almost everybody in talk radio was on that train. And I said, hey, I'm breaking out of here. They said, you can't break out of here. This is federal property. There are federal cops right there. There are the Amtrak trains. There's the PATH trains. And obviously, there's the Long Island Railroad. I said, tough nookies. I snuck out. I got on top of the train. I started walking on the top of the train. The federal police said, stop, cease, desist. And I ran and I jumped off the train. And the next thing you know, I was being interviewed by Steve Adubato in Wayne, New Jersey. Yeah, I made it all the way out there. That's how much I hate and loathe and despise U.S. Open. And I'll never forget that then Mayor David Dinkins. With 2,000 murders a year, 5,000 unsolved uh, shootings. Turned around and said, that's the biggest revenue uh, generator we have is the U.S. Open. And I said then, as I said now, I don't care. 
these guys walking around with those uh, tidy whities uh, Not very manly, you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, what's going to be happening later on today at the... Uh, what is that, the... Uh, oh, my God. It shows Newark, the MTV Video, Video Music Awards, shows The Rock, the Prudential Center, and downtown Newark to have the MTA... MTV Music Video Awards, good for Newark. What, Raj Baraka is going to be there, who hates all cops and loves all criminals? He'll be in good company, because who's going to be performing there? Eminem, a.k.a. Slim Shady, and his homie, Snoop Dogg. And remember, Snoop's got the cred, because when he was uh, just breaking into rap, along with Dr. Dre, remember they were in that Impala, doing the hydraulics in Long Beach? He got involved in a drive-by shooting in Long Beach, and he ended up killing a crypt in a park. He was arrested by L.A. County sheriffs, put on trial before the L.A. County District Attorney. And then all of a sudden, before a jury of of his peers, he was exonerated because all the witnesses said, I didn't see Snoop Dogg in that park shooting a crypt. My God, he beat the rap. And then look at this, Eminem. Eminem said in one of his rap songs he wanted to rape his mom because he hated her. Hated her. And what was it in that uh, rap song? I'm back. The great white dope, hope, whatever you want to call it, who was putting a woman in the trunk of his car, was saying, that's what I'll do to my wife, Kim. Slim Shady speaking to his daughter while killing his wife. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what we want to expose America to. A homophobe, a sexist, a misogynist. But then again, you would think uh, Snoop Dogg's complexion is his protection. It normally is. But Eminem, he says, I just got it like that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WS. What the hell is that there, Broadway Bill Lee? Looking for a little Lady Gaga, man, unless she had a sex change operation. And all of a sudden, she's a transgender, transvestite. Uh, what the hell was that? Oh, my God. You've lost your mind. It's better be Lady Gaga if it's not Thunder Thighs. Lady Gaga, who is touring Texas, the Lone Star State, said she hopes purple Texas turns blue at her Arlington concert. 
as she said, I love Beto O'Rourke. I love Beto, Beto, Beto. I hate Governor Abbott. Oh, God. By the way, uh, Thunder Thighs, always in competition with Beyonce, Thunder Thighs, and the diva of all divas, uh, J-Lo, Jennifer from the block, legitimately from Castle Hill, went to Preston High School, but then became the ultimate diva. Apparently, uh, there is a claim out there that Jennifer Lopez, although now she's Jennifer... Quack, quack. Affleck has cut her dancers in her entourage over the astrological signs. Now, can you imagine if you tried to do that in the private sector or the public sector? That you fire people because of the astrological signs? What makes you think you can get away with that, J-Lo? Well, I'm J-Lo. I'm the diva of all divas. Well, that's true. By the way, let's go to L'Italia. And you know what was happening in Italy? Oh, Madonna, that putan was celebrating her 64th birthday. And she was in Venezia, you know, with the uh, gondolas, the canal. And she was lip-locking with two separate women on the gondola. You know, naturally wanting to push the envelope as much as she could. She was uh, swapping spit with one woman in the gondola, then turning uh, around and swapping spit with the other female in the gondola, lip-locking. And you know something? Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Madonna, you are a person of no consequence. Uh, she was flashing her booty. Because remember, originally she had a flat booty when she came from Michigan and uh, established her uh, credentials as a singer-entertainer. And all of a sudden she ended up with this massive booty where you can actually serve breakfast on uh, a platter off her booty. How'd she do that? Meantime, speaking of Italia, an Italian man has tested positive for COVID-19, monkeypox, and HIV all on the same day. He has scored the trifecta, the trinity, the troika. That's right, this Italian guy, oh my God, 36 years old, tested for all three, positive, 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 COVID-19, monkeypox, and HIV all on the same day. And speaking of Beyonce Thunder Thighs, once again, she regaled an audience by telling them the time that she confronted 50 Cent, 50 Cent, a.k.a. Curtis Jackson, who culturally appropriated my name since I was birthed first. And uh, apparently uh, 50 Cent was beefing with Jay-Z, her husband. But Jay-Z was only, like, keeping it to words. And Beyonce all of a sudden flexed, and she got right into the face of 50 Cent, and she was, like, cursing him out, dropping the F-bomb, and he decided, no moss, no moss. I cannot deal with this. Hey, Jay-Z, if you don't want to come out and go mano a mano, why are you hiding behind her dress? Meantime, rapper ASAP Rocky, who was charged with assault for shooting his friend last November in L.A., is hiring a number of high-profile attorneys, Benjamin Braffman, best known for representing mobsters choking on their lobsters. But when it comes to the rap world, representing P. Diddy. Remember when P. Diddy 
was in that club with his protege, who was uh, from Belize, uh, and also J-Lo, who was his girl toy at that point, shot up that club in Times Square, escaped, jumped into their Lincoln Navigator, J-Lo. There was uh, Sean Puff Daddy Combs and his two bodyguards, went the wrong way, were arrested by the cops. They found the gun, and while in a holding cell before arraignment, Apparently, uh, P. Diddy did a little negotiating with his driver and the bodyguard and convinced them that there was a lot more money where his payment just came from to keep them hush-hush, mush-mush. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Hannah in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Hannah. Hi, Curtis. How are you today? Oh, I've had better days. I've had better days, Hannah. I, you know, I really love the your show. Oh, well, thank you, thank you, Hannah. I really, I love your animal show. I love your wife. She's so dedicated to the animals. I want to thank you guys so much. All right, now, uh, Hannah, I'll love you more if you turn your radio down. Oh, I'm sorry. You see, you got to turn it down or we catch the reverb. It, it sort of rebounds off the wall. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No problem. I, did it just now. I apologize. Um, I'm actually calling because you discussed about Harry Styles as well. But um, I I love Harry Styles very much, though. I met him um, one time in the street. He is a very kind soul. He loves his fans. And... I didn't get to go to his concert. It's so expensive. I can't believe how expensive it is. Um, not as expensive as Bruce Springsteen, but um, he is one genuine, unique artist. Uh, he interacts with the fans. He talks to them. Um, and even after the concert, if you see him in the street, he even talks to the fans, give them a hug. I mean, he's like a genuine, kind soul. And... Um, but uh, I, I just, I just want to tell that, and I really love his music. Um, I think his music is great. I got his album, um, all his albums. Um, he's from the band One Direction, and I didn't follow him back then. I just got to like follow him during the pandemic, you know. Wow! Uh, so you're you're totally into Harry Styles. Yeah, I wish I could get tickets for him. I mean, I wish you guys could like, give out tickets for him. I mean, well, he's got but, um, 15 sold-out concerts at Madison Square Garden. 15 sold-out concerts. I mean, no, it's not sold-out. I mean, they say that, I guess, in all, you know, publicity things. But um, it's not sold-out. My friend got a ticket yesterday. So now, 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 wait a second. So you're like a groupie of his. I, I don't like the word groupie. Um, I would say that I'm a big um, love of his music. I, I'm, I don't like to say groupie. Um, I was a groupie of Duran Duran. I'm not a groupie of Harry Styles. Ah, uh, Duran <laughs> Duran. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, now, now, Hannah, let me know, ask you a question about Harry Styles. Is he sure. a man? Is he a woman? Is he non-binary? What is he? I can't quite figure it out. I think he's a true man who really knows his identity and knows. I, I like the way he composed himself. He doesn't say, uh, he, you know, he's hetero or he's gay. 
he doesn't like to even um, express it. Um, he likes to say he's a human. Um, you know, he doesn't say, he doesn't like labels, which I also do myself. I don't like to label myself. Um, I like to keep it ambiguous. And I think what it is, is it's really a genuinely kind person who really knows himself. Um, well, let me, uh, let me let you just hand out temporarily. Is yeah. this Harry Styles here? Let me hear this. Let me hear this. Nah. Yeah, that's, no, that's his old album. That's his old song. He has a new song. It's called uh, Late Night Talking. I'm thinking about Late Night Talking, but... um. No, he, he, he also has, um, music from the sushi restaurant. Music from sushi restaurant. I mean, he's very poetic. So that's what I love about him. He reminds me of a little bit of, uh, Jim Morrison. Well, let's just say, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, Hannah, since you've been so kind and explaining so much about somebody to me as a person of no consequence, Harry Styles. It's not my cup of tea. Let me hear a little bit of that, Harry Styles. And according to Rolling Stone magazine, he's the new king of pop. Replacing uh, the pedophile on a pedestal, Michael Jackson. Really? No, it doesn't do anything to me. Sorry. Too bubblegum. Too bubblegum. I just want to know, is he man? Is he woman? Is he non-binary? Is he one of 72 different gender or sexual definitions? Plus, you never know, there could be more added on. Ah, it's listenable, it's listenable. But wait a second. Wait a second. Who did I mention before? Did I say J-Lo, Jenny on the Block, Castle Hill? Did I mention that she went to Preston High School? Unlike AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America and the Justice Warriors, who's never been in the Bronx, but obviously went up to Tarrytown Heights, Tarrytown High School, as Sandra Ocasio. Yeah, now this is, this is more my style, more my style. As much as I hate, I loathe, I despise that diva, J-Lo, who's firing dancers because she doesn't like the astrological signs. How the hell did she do that? That's illegal. Uh, go to the National Labor Relations Board. Uh, why did you fire your five dancers and your entourage? I just didn't like the astrological signs. Psych. Frank Morano is a pathetic excuse for a man. Well, that's true. Maybe you should become non-binary, you know? Frank, uh, it doesn't require an operation. Just call yourself non-binary and we'll refer to you as they, them, these, and those. They, them, these, and those. That's the new definition of Frank Morano. No more he, no more him, the, these, them, those, and they. Anyway, let's go to Bobby, who's calling from Long Island, 1-800-848-9222. What's on your mind, Bobby? Hello, sir. Good morning. I want to I want to tell you, thank you. First of all, you and the Guardian Angels are very unappreciated, and you need a, a lot more respect than you get because you're out there to protect the people. And I don't know who's against you, but I want to talk about um, uh, J-Lo. 
I was a school teacher in the Bronx, and back in the day, Jennifer Lopez was shooting a um, her video for Jenny from the Block, and my kids, they were seventh graders, and they were all excited. And the day after the the, uh, the shooting, they came in, they were all depressed. I'm like, what what happened? Why why are you all? What's going on here? She said to them, "Get away from me, you're dirty." And I was, I'm so, still so mad after all this time at this woman, her biggest star, her biggest fans, I'm sorry, were, were these kids. And she just totally, you know, was was disapproving. And that's not right for a star. No, no, but then again, Bobby, uh, as I've explained before, I met uh, three of the greatest athletes of all time. Uh, Willie Mays up in Riverdale, formerly of the San Francisco Giants, New York Mets. Horrible, horrible. Just walked around with a frown on his face. Joe DiMaggio, who was pushing, uh, remember, Mr. Coffee, uh, and the Bowery Savings Bank, retired uh, from the Yankees many years. Uh, he was a real piece of work. And uh, my favorite, Mickey Mantle, who was a degenerate, total degenerate. Uh, all of them didn't sign autographs. All of them uh, acted like they were better than anybody else. I mean, these top three athletes, oh my God, always moaning, groaning, and complaining like they were, they were old the world. Anyway, give me a little bit more of that music there, Broadway Bill Lee. I need that stimulation as we're going to take everybody to the break of dawn. No, you came this far with me? Five hours and 45 straight minutes of me flapping my gums? You're not going to fall asleep now under no condition, ladies and gentlemen. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Speaking of pronouns and names, Boston University. Who went to Boston University? Let me see if I can configure it. I think our own Bill O'Reilly went to uh, Boston University. I think AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, better known as Sandra Ocasio, when she lived in Westchester, leader of the Socialist uh, Democrats and the Justice Warriors. I believe she went to Boston University. I believe that, hmm, could it be Howard Stern went to Boston University, too? Is it true that Howard Stern went to Boston University? Is that true, Avery? Uh, is it true that AOC, all-out crazy, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, better known as Sandra Ocasio when she lived in Westchester, she went to Boston University, too? That I don't know. Uh, is it true that Bill O'Reilly, who broadcasts here at WABC, went to Boston University? Uh, I'll say yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'll say yeah because I'm verbally badgering you now. <laughs> By the way, Boston University students now are able to change pronouns and names for diplomas and for the school directory. That's a double oofah. Oh, here is uh, Frank Morano's hero, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, boof, 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 has converted to Catholicism after studying for his part of Padre Pio in the movie. You know, Frank Morano, he left the church in Udiscrazia out of fashion. He was birthed a Roman Catholic, brought into this world by his hardworking mother, Stephanie, working two jobs just to make ends meet to support him at NYU, where she and his hardworking dad, Carmine, spent $55,000 a year, no frills, in order for Frank Morano to become a violent. 
You that's... have to service all of the clients. God, a violet. So anyway, it's interesting here. Shia LaBeouf, who was a total degenerate, a perv, charged with sexual harassment, a number of other charges, has now decided to convert to Catholicism after discovering, after studying to become the uh, latest individual to pretend to be Padre Pio Mio. Oh, brother. By the way, speaking of that, uh, apparently wolves are procreating and fornicating again. The population is growing throughout New York State from the outskirts of Buffalo to the outskirts of Brooklyn. Now, here's one. Cougar. Martha Stewart says Pete Davidson is like the son I never had. I have a feeling that Pete Davidson has been hitting on Martha Stewart, you know, Grandma Martha Stewart who's hanging out with Snoop Dogg, you know, who's doing Puff Puff Pass. Oh, yeah, Snoop Dogg, who now has a, a a Saturday morning cartoon series. What the hell is going on? Snoop Dogg, who's doing Puff Puff Pass, a Saturday morning cartoon series? This is crazy. But then again, Ice Cube, what was it? Ice tea, ice tray, vanilla ice, one of those ices, also had a uh, Saturday morning cartoon series based on... Uh, the Barbershop Quartet movies of Friday. I think it was Ice Cube. No, maybe it was Ice Tea. No, maybe it was Ice Tray. No, maybe it was Vanilla Ice. But Martha Stewart says that Pete Davidson, the king of Staten Island, not you, Frank Morano, is like the son I never had. I have a feeling Pete Davidson is snacking on Martha Stewart, who, by the way, lied to the FBI twice. You normally only get a chance to lie to them once. They came back after going to the director, and they said, guess what, Martha Stewart? Uh, on the matter of insider trader information, we know you're lying to us. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But we're going to give you a second opportunity to lie to us again because nobody has ever been given a second opportunity by the FBI. She was. She lied to them. She went to jail. And now she's a hot mess. In fact, take her pets away from her. Every week there's a story about pets on her Ponderosa, her mansion area, getting abused or getting killed or running away. By the way, this is extraordinarily interesting here. Batgirl directors reveal they have no footage of the film, but they still hope for a release date. So they did the movie already, Batgirl. They can't find out where the footage of the film is. But they're still promising all their fans that there will be a release. Madonna my. Oh, I miss this. Friday was National Waffle Day. I love Waffle House. Waffle House is absolutely my favorite place to dine. It's cheap, it's inexpensive. You get a lot of bang for your dollar. I love it when I go into a Waffle House. Nobody has teeth in a Waffle House. Not the cooks that you can see prepare the uh, the food. Very cheap, I might add. Not the uh, waiters or waitresses. Not the customers. Nobody has teeth in Waffle House. But, oh, my God. There's no Waffle House in Connecticut. None in New York. None in New Jersey. The Waffle House Museum is in Atlanta, Georgia. 
I believe there are a few Waffle Houses in Pennsylvania. If you happen to know where, please give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. There are 1,900 Waffle Houses throughout the United States. Endless repouring of watered-down coffee. You pay 99 cents, you can be drinking coffee all day. Cup of coffee, cup of coffee, cup of coffee. God, my last meal, if I were on death row, you know what it would be, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, our telephone talent coordinator and uh, nighttime producer, it would be Waffle House. If that was my last meal, right, before they're going to strap me in old Sparky and maybe give me an intravenous uh, shock of my lifetime, or better yet, firing squad, right, they'll say cigar, cigarette, tipperillo. Would you like to cover your eyes? No, I'm a man's man. Shoot me between my eyes. But first, give me my Waffle House. Oh, God. The humiliation of it all. Anyway, uh, if we can, let's go to Robert in Dutchess County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Curtis, good morning. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Robert. So, listen, you better give that guy to answer the phone a cup of coffee. Sounds like he's sleeping on the job. Number two, I want to thank you for everything you do for the city. I met a couple of your guardian angels in the Bronx, up by Montefiore Hospital. I don't know what you do to train these kids, but they're complete gentlemen. Yes, sir. No, sir. I bought them both a cup of coffee each. That is great. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, it's always great to hear that the group that you created uh, 40, well, actually, uh, 43 years ago, is still maintaining standards, not just here, the guardian angels you met, uh, uh, Robert, but also, uh, throughout uh, 13 countries, 130 cities now. I really do appreciate that, Robert. Yeah, really nice kids. Uh, it was a pleasure to meet them. And you're doing a great job training these guys. Thank you very much, Robert, by the way, uh, I wonder how many, if I were to bifurcate the guardian angels now, how many uh, generals, Generation Z, I guess that's 1997 and 2012, if you fall into that range. Millennials, 81 to 96. Generation X, 1965 to 1980. And, of course, Boomers. Boomers 2, 1955 to 1964. But remember, I'm Boomers 1 because I was born in 1954. <laughs> anyway, let's go, if we can, to Jim in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Morning, Curtis. Sitting home runs all night, pal. Listen, I got a Waffle House for you. If you take 81 South to Carlisle, where it intersects with the Pennsylvania Turnpike, can you get off? You got about a one-mile trip between 81 and the Pennsylvania Turnpike. There's a Waffle House there. Excellent. Oh, now, is that the Pennsylvania side or the Jersey side? No, no, no. We're talking about, like, in Carlisle, around Harrisburg. Oh, Car- Harrisburg. Wait a minute. You mean Jim Thorpe University, Carlisle? That's it. Burt Lancaster, Burt Lancaster. You know it. God. You know oh. it. There, It's right there, Curtis, waiting for you. Oh, God! Is every truck driver in America hitting that place? I give my world for Waffle House. (sighs) Just (laughs) think. If you want to go, I'll be the chauffeur. Give me a call. Oh, most definitely, Jim. Just think about it. Uh, When I got married to uh, the gorgeous uh, Nancy, 
I took her on a honeymoon to Tampa to visit the Guardian Angels there. She didn't like that. We stayed at a Motel 6. She didn't like that. I said it could have been a Super 8. Uh, and then we ate morning, noon, and night, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I came by for uh, <clears throat> a brunch at Waffle House. Oh, it's just so good. So good. By the way, deadbeat slackers uh, and Norduels at universities across America eat your hearts out because the University of Texas, the Longhorns in Austin, they're actually offering a course to students. You get credit for this. To learn about Taylor Swift. Wow. You get credits on a course at Texas University. Longhorn University in Austin, Texas, to learn about Taylor Swift? Oh, brother. Oh, my God of mine. By the way, uh, McDonald's, Mickey D's, is bringing back its cult favorite Pokemon Happy Meal, but they're a little different this time. McDonald's and Pokemon have introduced a new goal for those who feel like they got to catch them all. The two brands have teamed up to introduce a Happy Meal featuring brand new TCG match battle game items. The new Happy Meal match battle boxes, which are available in the U.S., will be out mid-September and will offer Pokemon fans one more way to experience the Pokemon trading card game with match battle, do you get to flip Pokemon cards? Do you get to topsy, play topsy, flipsies with Pokemon trading cards? Of course not. And then, of course, there was my time as a night manager at Mickey D's. I was informed by corporate headquarters in Oak Brook, Illinois, that we could not have a visit by Ronald McDonald, the iconic figure of McDonald's, because it was too dangerous there on the corner of Webster and East Fordham Road. So Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, uh, telephone talent con- uh, contractor, contactor, purveyor, whatever you want to call yourself, do you know who they sent to replace Ronald McDonald? The Hamburglar. They said the Hamburglar fit that neighborhood like a glove. And do you know something? All the kids love the Hamburglar. Oh, yeah, Hamburglar. They hated Ronald McDonald. They hated clowns. You know, they love the Hamburglar. How many of them followed in the footsteps of the Hamburglar? How many of those young children having their Happy Meals with the Hamburglar ended up lining up for commissary on Rikers Island because of the influence of the Hamburglar?